Hey y'all, this is Eric Morris from Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV. Hey, I got an outdoor show. This season was great, had thousands and thousands of people watching the show, but tune in for next season, season two that I'm currently working on to see hunts, fishing trips, horses, dogs, old people, young people, kids, everybody. Hit me up on Facebook, Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV, and catch a few of last season's episodes. I look forward to hearing from y'all. The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today, and be sure to use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription at checkout. I also want to encourage you to visit the Youth Field Trial Alliance. They are here to promote field trial clubs everywhere and to hold youth trials, stakes, and training days to provide a platform for clubs to advertise their youth field trials and post the results with the photos. So visit the Facebook site and also get the youth involved in field trials. And this new initiative that we're taking on, guys, with the Gundog Notebook, I want to support Tommy. Um, and Chris Mathen for everything that they're doing for the culture and the sport. Also, in light of Onyx Maps, well, guess what, guys? I wouldn't have known if it was going to be rainy or sunny or what the weather was going to be like when I was out in the woods. Make sure you guys go and check out the new features with Onyx Hunt. Um, I just want to always give them a super, super, super shout out because of the things that they've done for everybody in the hunting industry with that one very, very, very complex, but very, very, very simple tool to use. Um, I've already encouraged a good bit of my friends to get a hold of it. And, uh, you know, let's round up the end of the season. If your season's already over, well, that's just unfortunate. But if it's not, get out there and log in some more maps in your Onyx Hunt app today. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Yukonuba Sporting Dog, my other very, very, very special sponsor. Um, did you know that they actually have a system that is like proven to reduce tartar buildup in your dog's teeth? It does it in 28 days. Yukonuba also guarantees customer satisfaction. So with that being said, guys, I've always been talking about Yukonuba and I want them to see that the rest of the gun dog community and now the field trial community is here to support the brand. All right, guys. I also want to give a special shout out to Garmin. They've been around a long time and, you know, they used to be Tritronics. You know, those collars were awesome too. So check out Garmin now. Also, I want to, of course, give a special shout out to Lion Country Supply, the world's premier uh, sporting and hunting dog supplier. Make sure you guys go check that stuff out. It's a new year, man. Get your dog outfitted with some new stuff. I'm definitely looking forward to getting a, new, a few new things myself down the road. Check out Lion Country Supply, Eric Munden. And of course, they're also big, big, big supporters of those in the field trial world. Guys, I'm bringing it all full circle. So check out Lion Country Supply today. Also, guys, make sure that you keep your dog safe in a Dakota 283 kennel. 
specifically the G3. And of course, the new kennels, the tonneau cover kennels can fit under a tonneau cover in the back of your truck for the smaller breeds. Go online at Dakota283.com and use my promo code TGDN10 for 10% off at checkout. Make sure you keep them doggies safe on the road. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. Well, <laughs> this time, like any time we get on the line with AJ DeRosa, who is on here now, I got hijacked last time. I'm getting hijacked again. That's kind of your thing, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you spend all that time interviewing people. It's like, you know, I'm sure it's nice to, like, get some questions asked now and again. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I just I live vicariously through you and Nick. Uh, by not having my own podcast and just hijacking you guys as occasionally. Well, you you just said you are no Elon Musk, and I'm going to disagree with that. I think you are the, the, the Elon Musk of, of the bird dog world right now. <laughs> so I, I, I you, highly doubt that. Well, certainly not the bird dog world. Uh, certainly plenty of people that are, I, I'm by no means a bird dog trainer. I'm a, as amateur as they come. But yeah, but you, you, all right. So, the, but the I'm reason I say curator, that, how about that? Yeah, okay. So we'll go with <laughs> master curator. You have, you, you have been doing some, some numbers. Okay. With project upland and you've always continued to challenge me to not only be better, but to produce better content. Um, you and Chet. Chet got this new system and stuff like that, got me hooked up with the right folks. So it's only my due diligence to move forward. And so master curator, as, as a master curator as you are, you are once again <laughs> making a bit of a creative direction change. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think it first goes with saying that Project Upland um you know, people probably heard me say before Project Upland was an accident. It was never planned. It just kind of happened. And it was driven out of passion, you know, and um, people clung on to that passion because they had the same thing and it just eventually turned into what it is today. Um, and, you know, there's no roadmap for what we do. Um, and one of the big things that we've started to do and start to self-identify is um, kind of this crowdsource theory of our brand where, um, like the Northwoods Collective that owns uh, Project Upland, um, you know, which I am the creative director of Northwoods Collective, um, is being a collective and a collective of information. So um, one of the things that we discover kind of along this road as we kind of, you know, make up this platform as we go along and create these new channels is um, we go back and understand we need to clarify things or to make distinctions um, and whatnot. So you and I had a, a conversation recently that was about the gun dog notebook and uh, about kind of the clarifications of what the gun dog notebook was. And, you know, I mean, to say it candidly, you know, I said that, you know, the gun dog notebook has a little bit of an identity crisis and, you know, I blame myself for that more than anything, because, you know, I think we should have kind of sat down. I should have said, you know, what is this? What is this about? And we kind of had that conversation already, but it's now been, you know, what a year plus that you've been with Project yeah. Upland. Yeah, so. and, and it's a, it's an evolution. <laughs> I mean, to blame you? No, I wouldn't say that. I would just say, I mean, 
one thing I'm learning about having a child, AJ, is you're going to do some things in the beginning, right? And it's even like dogs too. You're going to do things and you're like, okay, this is this is what I want to do. There's no real concrete idea. And then as you go along, you know, with my daughter, we figure out <laughs> what we should have done. And, and she's four or five months old now. It, you know, dogs, it's the same thing. I'm getting this new pointer soon. And there's a lot of things that I would have liked to have done differently with with both of my dogs now. So I wouldn't say it's a blame thing. I just think it's an evolution thing, man. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, uh, taking responsibility for it. And I think, you know, I, and really what this is getting in to get down to it is um, people were definitely confused about some stuff that you've done on this podcast. Um, and again, that was, you know, us just not indicating a clear lane. Um, and I like the fact that sometimes we get constructive criticism. Um, you know, I listen to some other podcasts and stuff. And I discussed to you about this whole conversation with barrel training, which, um, I understood it when you did it. And it's because I had this whole narrative in my head that we never shared with anybody else, which is, um, anytime I've went to the South, people are putting dogs on barrels, you know? And, um, sure. If you live in the world of versatile dogs, if you live in the world of just hunting, you know, if you're not, um, field trialing, which really is what this comes down to. Um, and you know, maybe you hunt, test a dog, whatever. But again, what we're talking about is the upland community or, you know, and, and really I should say kind of the hunting dog community and small game is subcultures inside of subcultures inside of subcultures. You know, it's, it's funny too, because a lot of people want to just lump things in like, Oh, it's it's just bird hunting. No, no. Like people self-identify as grouse hunters. They self-identify as quail hunters. Um, you know, uh, Western quail hunters, whatever it might be, you know, uh, trucker hunters, you know, um, some people, uh, might be into, you know, competing with dogs, you know, in the field trial world. Some people are into, you know, German testing systems, you know, um, stuff like NAVDA, um, community-based things. It's about testing dogs, not competing against one another. Um, so really what, you know, different breeds, um, you know, different guns, you know, even, even the firearms inside of, uh, upland hunting, the, and I'm not saying in big game, sure. Are there all these different, you know, rifle brands and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, of course, but, um, we tend to be a little bit cultish and again, subculture-ish inside Upland. So you have, you know, the, the Fox community of the Parker communities, you know, we have mm-hmm. entire collectors associations for these groups. So mm-hmm. when the gun dog notebook started me and you, or, you know, which was before me and you ever even talked, um, you know, you were Durrell and Pat, you know, Durrell's passionate about, um, bird dogs, you know, bird hunting lives in the South. When you and I first connected, I looked at this opportunity of having somebody who was deep into a specific culture that we didn't have good representation in. Um, and over time, this kind of evolved and I saw it evolve. And again, this narrative was in my head that, oh, you know, like the gun dog notebook is about trialing dogs. And we never clearly stated that to the community. We never said, Hey, um, that's what this is about. And, 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 you know, we never really made that conscious decision. Never mind, you know, say that to people. So, you know, part of us hopping on this podcast today was really to kind of discuss that and to, you know, kind of declare going forward for a clear brand, mm-hmm. um, that the gun dog notebook is about, uh, the competitive bird dog world, yeah. um, and what that entails. And that is, a vastly different pursuit than other people's things. 
I will never be got, caught, you know, or I shouldn't say caught, but I, I am adamantly against the use of the word sport and hunting. Yeah. Um, I just don't think it's an accurate representation. However, I'm going to use an analogy of sports to describe what the hunting world is. You know, if I'm, you know, I'm from New England, I hunt grouse and woodcock. Well, all right, that's hockey, you know, and me going down to your world um, in Georgia where you're running a pointer and um, getting into competitive stuff. Um, and me telling you that I know what, what you're doing or me cast judgment on what you're doing or you cast judgment on what I'm doing when ultimately you're a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> uh, we're talking about, you know, apples and oranges. It's mm-hmm. just it's just different paces. And it, and I see this a lot in the community um, since we've launched the Project Upland community Facebook page. Um, you know, one of the distinctive reasons we didn't launch it in the first place was because we didn't want the responsibility of it. Um, this idea of having to monitor large scale amounts of content, um, to really dictate what it was. We've seen plenty of other groups turn into disasters. Um, and we just, you know, it was, we just didn't want that burden. We didn't want to do it. And eventually we decided to do so. But through that journey, you know, what I've seen a lot of is that, there's this sentiment again, not even mention the fact that it's just a world of keyboard warriors, but um, <laughs> people just want to be quick to put everything in their lane. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we're on the super highway that's like 50 lanes wide, <laughs> right. you know, and then, you know, Darrell's down there tossing dogs up onto a barrel and all of a sudden, you know, everybody else is, is you know, banging at the gates with pitchforks and <laughs> and torches and it's like whoa dude like we're just talking about different things right. um, and again that's on us for not you know clarifying and i think that clarifying this and going forward gives us a better representation of you know you know me and you talked about this the other night and i said to you you need a clear path here we we need to decide which direction you're going in you know what and what it came down to was what's your passion? (laughs) You know, like, what are you passionate about? And and what did you say to me? I want to, I want to compete with dogs. I am really passionate about that. Mm -hmm. I love the development of it from puppies all the way up through. And, and, and in addition to that, you know, AJ, we filmed the hard day riding film. And I think it was, it was something that was, I guess, being written in stone, you know, and it was being said, but I don't think we were, saying it you know what i'm saying I, I i look back at some of the guests that i've had on they're field trialers you know what i'm saying when we talk to about right. neil and all of those guys the people that i'm learning from are field trialing the barrel article that i wrote about the gentleman that i referenced a mentor of mine bud moore is a top-notch field trialer so it I, that's why it was so easy for me to say well this is what it is that i'm passionate about Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, 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 you know, this comes down to, and it's funny, I didn't intend to use the Facebook community page as this ongoing example for this conversation, but, um, actually another gentleman, um, that, um, had reached out to us a couple of times and I actually reached out to him, um, had made a comment in a post about a gentleman shooting, uh, shotgun over puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially what he said was, I don't care what you do with your dog. My concern is the other people that come here and see this post and read this post and then end up screwing up a dog because of it. You know, right. like, 
Um, and we're all bird dog people. And that's, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's distinctively different about our community is the involvement of dogs, um, which adds a layer of passion and complexity that you don't see, um, in other areas. Of course, if you're running, you know, bear dogs or mountain lion dogs or whatever, uh, I'm sure there's some of it there. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying, you know, our everyday lives of, uh, chasing birds and whatnot is, is intimately involved in these dogs and project Upland has certainly been a versatile, heavy community. Um, you know, a lot of new people who have their first bird dogs, myself included, um, they're, they're family members before they're hunting dogs in most cases. Um, and getting back to that community post, uh, you know, it was like this light bulb went off. It was like this epiphany for me. And I rallied all the admins up and I said, listen, going forward on this Facebook community page, if there is a post about anything that can potentially ruin a bird dog because somebody who doesn't understand sees it, repeats it, mm-hmm. or thinks it's good advice, then it needs to be removed. Right. Um, and so that that gets to you know kind of this this podcast, and I think the people, some of the people that were a little vocal about this conversation about barrels, they were vocal on that theory, and it makes perfect sense. You know, if if I'm AJ up in you know New Hampshire and and I throw a barrel out back and start throwing my griff on on it, um, you know. I'm sure I could get some kind of results that make sense in some kind of world or whatever, but nevertheless, that's just not the normal world for it. So they're looking at it and looking at that potential of, uh, kind of like a misguidance and misunderstanding, you know, Mm -hmm. like which one of the things you and I talked about is me saying to you distinctively, every time you go on a podcast episode to distinctively say in the beginning of these episodes and a constant reminder throughout the episode that we're talking about, uh, you know, you're talking about rather, uh, trial dogs. Um, and, and that's just a different beast. And, and again, it's, um, the way a dog hunts, you know, grouse up in new England is completely different than, you know, a dog that hunts, you know, quail in the Southwest or out in the prairie or, or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that there's not dogs that are capable of all those things. And there aren't methods that the point is, is that what you're doing is a niche inside of a niche and us identifying that and letting people know that that's what it is prevents the case from AJ DeRosa first bird dog coming in you know, looking at this and suddenly I'm applying, you know, a hundred year plus tradition of, uh, training pointers and setters yeah. <laughs> um, for quail, you know, for, for quail trials. Um, you know, when I am trying to build a grouse dog, you mm-hmm. know, so, so that's, you know, this kind of big indication is okay. Stay in that lane. And I think the interesting factor of it is too, is, um, Talking about things is always a mechanism for change. Um, you know, Project Upland is a perfect example of that. Um, us getting and ultimately changing the future vision of a gun dog notebook is that, you know, it, this was an ongoing conversations of episodes of an evolution of people, of people getting inspired by things, people not liking things, people moving in different directions. You know, that, that's what these oral traditions of everything come down to. Um and that's that's really what we need to harness in the end here. So, you know, now it becomes this conversation and it's and it's exciting, you know, for people who don't understand the trial world to be able to look at something as people, you know, from the outside end 
and be able to actually get information, ask questions. You know, one of the things I said too important to you was to play devil's advocate and, you know, and not to, you know, uh, pass judgment on the field trial world. But this is, I I feel like this is setting the stone in motion. Mm -hmm. I've expressed things to you before about antiquated training techniques, um, concerns about dog abuse, um, just all these different things that comes up that, as long as there's a veil over it, um, people are going to make allegations. People are going to think things. And I'm sure that any of those things are going on. Those right. things are going on in any community, period. Right. Um, but the question becomes is, you know, how do we ask questions? How do we expose the world, good and bad? How do we force change so things evolve in the future for the better? Or, or are they good already? You know, like mm-hmm. all those questions. In, and I, not to pull the race card, but, you know, one of the first questions I remember asking back in the day, I'm like, yo, dude, like how can you show up to a place where like some dudes like great grandfather owns slaves and he still owns that plantation. And like, you're just sitting there just hanging out, drinking a beer. Like, (laughs) yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes here that, you know, um, need to be addressed and it, it comes down to this basic, you know, question. So now if I was listening to this podcast and, you know, I'm a, again, AJ number two up in New Hampshire, I mean, I'd ask a fundamental question, and this is a question I even said to you the other night, and I guess is the first question of ending my rant. <laughs> what is field trialing a bird dog? Field trialing a bird dog. Well, number one, to 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 give the umbrella statement, it is to me. Okay, we we gonna consider you know more opinion than than anything. To me, field trialing a bird dog is the original American tradition of working a, 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 a premier bird dog, you, you know, like field trialing a dog is the thing that got us to the point that we're at now, honestly, because when you go back to Spain, when you go back and, and, and those pointers, you know, were coming down out of Spain to uh, England and they were doing some really, really dynamic things in England and, um, you know, with with pointers and setters. Those dogs were honestly dogs for the more affluent, you know, culture. You, you see what I'm saying? Like and they were doing it not only as a competitive thing, but they were doing it to create. You know, that was their way of saying this is our standard and this is what we're going to keep on doing so when those dogs got from europe to america it was the same thing it was competition yes but it created a value for the dogs and the bloodlines to basically say whether it be you know monetary or 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 value on a scorecard or anything like that it was the best way to judge a dog's ability when you take a limited number of, of, of very, very, very precisely and, and, you know, high, uh, hybrid dogs, I hope I'm making sense. You are taking, it's, it's like the Olympics pretty much. Well, and, and, and I think you need to bring it down to even more of a fundamental level because uh, again, this is a cultural thing. And, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important to identify because the, 
field trial world has had a vast influence on pointers and setters. Mm-hmm. I'm a Griffon guy. I will, I, I just, I, you know, when I think of the influence of where uh, Griffons came, I spend a lot of time around NAVDA, uh, a lot of German breeds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, for instance, you know, I think about uh, Dave Train with the Deitz Kirchar, right. which I'm probably said that wrong. You know, they're not technically <laughs> I, German. Look, neither one of us speak German, so I get right, it. Right, <laughs> right. But so dogs that are subjected to a German, uh, a German system. So, right. again, I, I think it's good. It's important that we clarify that yep. to say, OK, because now if I, you know, if you know, it's funny, I wrote an article not too long ago about the difference between uh uh, you know, a, a drought har and, uh, um, sorry, yeah. and a German wired hair. Mm-hmm. And this becomes, you know, kind of those conversations. Like I, you know, I, I joke and post that article once in a while and it's like, you know, how to avoid a bar fight was supposed to be the original title of the article. So right. it's like, you know, that's once we start talking about dogs, you know, and again, you're obviously super passionate about like the culture and what this has done for specifically pointers. Um, and kind of through this whole breed um, and everything else. But I think it's important to identify that and say this world, um, you know, that you're specifically talking about has had the biggest influence on pointers and on setters. I understand that there are field trialing for other breeds. Oh, absolutely. There are other clubs, there are Vizsla clubs and short hair clubs and things like, yeah. Right, right. Well, in, and again, the distinction, I, you know, and, and before I get that far, but also, you know, remind me in a minute here, but it's important that we talk about the distinction between hunt tests and field trialing, right. um, you, you know, because those are distinctively different things. So this past year, I went up uh, to northern New Hampshire and they were uh, conducting a field trial up there. And, you know, I roll into this parking lot and there's, you know, 40 trucks in there and, you know, just armies of setters and pointers. And, you know, all of a sudden I dropped my tailgate and Griffon steps out and it was yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, all heads snapped, everything went silent moment, you know? And somebody actually said to me, they were like, Oh, you know, like, uh, you can't run the, you can't run those dogs till tomorrow. And yeah. I was like, uh, <laughs> I'm just here to, I'm just here to shoot some video footage. But anyways, right. so, um, you know, which, which is funny. Um, just, you know, kind of thinking about it. So I recognize that there are dogs being competitively uh, put into those situations that are other breeds um, and whatnot. I don't understand what the, and again, I am this, that world is so foreign to me. I mean, I skateboarded in high school. I hated sports, was never into competition. I'll never will be. Um, So, you know, so I look at the situation and it's like, I need it dumbed down. (laughs) There are other people in the world that need it dumbed down. And that's been a cornerstone of project upland is like, give it to me piece by piece. Mm -hmm. Let's look at it from the novice perspective. So, so getting back to it, like not even thinking about where field trialing took us in the world. Literally. What is a field trial? A field trial (laughs) is, 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 is at its, at its core. A field trial is a competition, you know, between, Two handlers, uh, what's considered a brace or two dogs, judged by two judges. You have various stakes. You have um, all age stakes. You've got shooting dog stakes. You've got derby stakes. And then, you know, every so often you'll get a puppy stake. Um, each judges the dog on a, on a, on a, a, 
probably not a vastly different standard, but there are nuances within each uh, judgment. So an all age field trial, for example, um, you want that dog to be over the country and over the hill. When you like a lot of the times, AJ, when you hear a lot of guys talk about pointers, matter of fact, and they like, man, Lord, I got this trial dog and I let him off the tailgate to go hunt. I ain't seen him since. Right. That is a dog. Once you can harness that, that, that skill and that energy, that is a dog that would probably best suit an all age field trial. You want to walk up on that dog on point, you know, um, whereas a shooting dog field trial, that dog is going to be anywhere between 250 and 350 yards. But what's most important is and what the judges are going to look at is how does that dog utilize and fill up the country and identify objectives? And by objectives, I mean areas of land where wild birds, preferably wild birds, will live. All right. So taking this a step further, okay. I know up in my neck of the woods, there are trialing going on with grouse. Right. And that's a cover um, dog trial. Yes. Okay. So, so, so now explain that to me. So, so what's, a, what does a cover dog trial mean? Okay. Like, does that just mean it's grouse? Like, like obviously now, you know, what happens if I go out to, you know, Montana? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That, that, I, so let's start with my neck of the woods or, or <laughs> so in your the, neck of the woods, the North country up North. Um, and actually you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of guys in the project upland community, they post, you'll have like guys like Craig Doherty. I know he posts a lot and um, other trialers, Robert Ecker. Those are some of the cover dog trialers. Um, my buddy, uh, Paul Cook, Alder Fork said another cover dog trial. So cover dog trials are essentially grouse trials. That's to, to, to make it plain and simple. They are trials where the dog is not going to be, as rangy. You see what I'm saying? Like imagine AJ having a 350 yard dog in the grouse woods. You'll never see that dog well, again. And, and that was actually one of, you know, one of the things I wanted to point out here. And again, this is, this is, I've definitely see this confused plenty again. Um, as humans, we have, you know, this, we assume a lot, you know, so it's like bird dog conversation comes up. Um, you know, we all know that everybody wants to think their dog's the best, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's certainly plenty of people that are good at tempering that, but, um, nevertheless, what I'm kind of getting at is that we just make a lot of assumptions. So, right. um, let's say we're at the, you know, last year I went out to the NAVDA 50th anniversary and people are coming from all over the, uh, all over the country, even other countries. Yeah. Um, and you sit in that room and now, you know, Oh, well I have this really good bird dog or I have that, or I like a dog that does this those conversations and those wants and those needs are vastly different based on where you are. Again, right. you, you just pointed out if you were up in new England and your dog's running at 350 yards. Well, I mean, any, any person, I mean, we went, I went through this, you know, with a good friend of mine this year who has a pointer, he does do field trialing. Um, and that pointer, I mean, that thing, it was like, it was like snorting, you know, jet fuel before it got out of the car every right. time and, and it would be in the next County. And, and, you know, we're hunting mountainous terrain. And uh, I, I mean, the dog had 
a lot of prey drive. There's no question about that. But mm-hmm. again, it becomes this, you know, practical application of right. your situation. So, so I think, you know, I want to say that to the community and people that listen to uh, podcasts when it comes to bird dogs and everything else is that there's just so many different flavors. There's, right. you know, hard ice cream, soft syrup, right. there's, there's different flavors, there's twisted flavors, there's, you, you know, so it's like, we, we need to learn how to look at it through the proper lens and understand that there's a million different lenses applied. Um, so, you know, when you have an ambition to do something like train your own bird dog or choose a breed or um, let's say even pick a breeder. I mean, and that's a great thing yeah. um, to talk about it. I, we, you and I discussed this about that Llewellyn article that was mm-hmm. recently written. And, you know, one of the distinctive things was um, – the definition of a good bird dog. And, and one of the things I pointed out is the definition of a good bird dog changes depending on where you live. It depends on where you live and what you're trying to <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's important for people to remember that, um, and to, to think in that. And again, going forward, you know, us doing our good, you know, due diligence to remind people, to point people out, to also show variety. You know, it's like, I also feel like, sure, it's, you have a lot of access to people who are in the quail, you know, Southern field trial world, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean the Craig Doherty's of the world um, or whatever else might be out there shouldn't be coming on and talking about this. Right. And, and see, and, and that is the goal now with the changing, I call it the changing of the guard um, with this, you know, podcast being more field trial focused, AJ, now it opens up a venue for the Craig Doherty's and the Robert Eckers, and I've already had Tommy Rice and, you know, the, the, the Luke Eisenhart's of the world to come on. And, and, and now we can really get down to the nitty gritty. You see um, what you just said is very important to understand when it comes to breeding, you know, and, and what these guys, Mr. Llewellyn back in the day, when he was breeding, they were breeding strictly for, um, what would be defined as a versatile dog? You you see what I'm saying? Right. All of the and and there was at at that at that time there was no conversation about um a versatile dog. They were breeding only bird dogs, and by bird dogs again based on the country. It yes. it, it depend well, it depended on whether you were hunting quail, whether you were hunting grouse, yeah, yeah. you know what it was. And the cover dog trials were actually formatted the the ones now are, are are more formatted to the what the original field trials were like yeah and that's you know um kind of another thing that uh you know i, I think it's important to point out too is, is some of the the history here um when people go down the rabbit holes of breed history, it's really quick and easy to go down the pointer and setter world. Oh yeah, because it, it, it's definitely got a richer history in the states. Right, and and I don't, and I, they're both great breeds. There are lots of good breeds. Again, everything's suited for one. I, I hate when people try to say this is the best breed. That's, I mean, I've seen, you know, it's. I'm always adamant, uh, you know, about this. Like, uh, you can't judge. Uh, breed by seeing one dog hunt. Right, right. <laughs> you can't judge a single dog by only seeing it hunt one day. Right. Um, <laughs> you, you also got to remember that all dogs aren't bred equally. Right. Um, and all tra- dogs weren't trained equally, and all dogs weren't exposed equually. So again, all, you know, all There's these applications, so many all these variables. Things are important to remember. Yep. Um, but the other thing that I, I find really interesting, and when we were doing our 
the audio book uh, or the audio recording for the book uh, Woodcock Shooting by Edmund Davis was Edmund Davis, um, you know, just pretty much flat out says, well, you know, if you want a good woodcock dog, you have a setter, period. Um, And he mentions, you know, some people use pointers and certainly can and blah, blah, blah. Um, But what's important to understand is that book, I want to say it was written, it's either 1905 or 1908, somewhere around there. Right. Most versatile breeds hadn't even come to the United States yet. Mm -mm. So we're building all of this history already in the States here, um, you know, at the turn of the century uh, for pointers and for setters. Meanwhile, you know, um, I remember when we were talking about the, uh, writing that article about the um, German wired hair pointers, I want to say it was the 1950s or the 1960s, uh, the first time that they were introduced to the United States. And this again is, importance about distinctions of breeds and distinctions of testing, trialing the AKC. So the biggest distinct difference, and there, there are multiple ones if you really want to dive into it, mm-hmm. check out the article, check out some of the people who are in that world that's commented on that article, some great information. Yes. Um, the German testing system is what creates, you know, a drawtar. Right. So, so essentially what that means is that in order for two dogs to be brought together to be bred, both of those dogs had to have passed successfully through the German training system. Um, that's fundamentally different than the AKC, which is only concerned about the purity of the blood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's now, and these are all interesting things, like NAVDA last year announced that they are requiring DNA testing in all dogs now registered with uh, NAVDA, which right. is you know, very important about keeping the purity of the breed. But NAVDA, although it's not required, was it was inspired by German systems. You know, the people that found it, uh, you know, came from Germany. Um, you know, this this whole concept of um, holding dogs to a specific requirement um, to promote better breeding in the long run. That's not to say that people aren't out there, you know, breeding dogs, even though they haven't passed tests. The AKC, again, doesn't require it. NAVDA technically doesn't, you know, it doesn't require it. Mm-hmm. It promotes it. It wants you to do that, but it's not, you know, it's it's not. And there's definitely very, you know, many responsible breeders inside that world. So, again, these are all these, these really distinct and intricate um, things that come into play that's not as simple as just, you know, AJ showing up at a kennel, you know, three and a half years ago to pick up a puppy that never saw me before, you know, cause right. I was like, yeah, Griffons are hypoallergenic. You know, I got lucky that I ended up with a good bloodline mm-hmm. and in retrospect, it could have been a disaster. And I know plenty of people that made bad choices because they weren't even educated on understanding that like so much of this stuff is important. And there's a lot of influence that comes from these testing worlds, from these trial worlds and whatnot to create these things. Man, I went down a rabbit hole there. I think what you said, though, was absolutely necessary. And I actually want to add to what you were saying. Um, you know, when it comes to like, I, I don't think I made a when I got my lab. Right. And, and, and it's so funny because so many people ask me nowadays, like, Darrell, we don't really see you lab as much. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's here. He's great. But when I got my lab, um, what, three, three years ago, three and a half years ago, that was what I knew to be 
a good hunting dog. You you see what I'm saying for for birds, right? Um, and there, and and by all means, there are plenty phenomenal examples of that. Yeah. And and again, and, and I know we're kind of the road just to clarify before you dig yourself into a hole before you get a chance to say it. Yeah. Every dog has its application, and everybody has their particular tastes. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so yep. there's nothing wrong with labs. Right. Everyone. <laughs> no, and there's absolutely like I said, I love them to death. Um, I, I I love my lab, and and I'm and I'm so glad that I had that experience because honestly, Ruger got me to where I'm I'm at today, but. What I ended up noticing when we talk about getting breeds for certain purposes was, OK, number one it's hot as all get out down here in the South, AJ. So, yes. you know, is it is it the best application when I decide to get my next dog? What is going to be the best application for a guy that has a little bit more experience under his belt for just training a dog in general and to deal with the heat and to to find quail, that's really all that we have down here. I mean, we have woodcock, but that's well after you get them. You see what I'm saying? So, yes, we can hunt with a lab. And yes, he does his job well. But to be a better, you know, I would say I'm an aspiring dog man because that word means a lot to me to be a better dog man on, on my path. What's going to best suit me? I could have very well got a setter. But again, that doesn't solve the issue of heat as much. You you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, having a Griffon, um, you know, like this past season, uh, first couple of weeks of October where, you know, it was in the sixties and, uh, you know, I keep my dog in shape and, but when the temperatures are running 60 degrees, like, that's, dogs burn out quick. That's, that's you know, tough on a dog, especially when they're wired hair. You know, right? And, and, and the biggest thing is, is um, uh, you know, once they start tiring out, those scenting abilities just disappear, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you burn. You know, but make it, you know, thirty degrees out or twenty degrees out, and you know, now you can you can run virtually all day. Right. You know, obviously with plenty of breaks in between and and whatnot, but you can get a solid day out of a dog. Right. Right. Um, so, so that is, you know, and again, these are those things that come down to, we actually just got an article, um, from Dave train at Navdor. And I always come back to Navdor just because those are the people that I'm around. Um, obviously my world has been influenced a lot by that. Um, you know, Dave has been an unbelievable mentor towards me. Like when I like scratch my head about something with dogs, like Dave is my first phone call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, we have those. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Dave talks about, um, selecting a breed. Um, and again, it comes down to personality. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, you know, what do you, what do you want? Like, and you know, he, he definitely explains it clear and simple. It's like, if you want to hunt ducks, and you want to hunt upland game? Well, you need a versatile dog. Right. <laughs> you need See, a dog that's going to bring a yes. bird back to you. Right. Right. If you want something that points, and you don't want something that just flushes, then you start moving to versatile pointing dogs. Right. If you if you're if you want a flushing dog, now you're moving into the world of you know uh, spaniels mm-hmm. and uh, labs, you know, and, and and whatever else it might come. So there's all these important distinctions, and you know, I remember being a kid. Um. I, I told the story in the, in the film first season, I remember being a little kid and I don't know if it was outdoor life or field and streams, but 
I remember there being a German short hair on it and I was just like, Oh, I'm going to have a German short hair, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I didn't know why I was going to have a German short hair, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the biggest purpose I've ever put into a deciding I wanted a bird dog was, well, I want a hypoallergenic bird dog. And I ended up with a Griffon. Right. You know? So and, and, it's, <laughs> right. and it's funny because we go back and, and you know, we talk about these things about wants and needs and we, we evolve, you know, people jump to different breeds. They want to do different things. You know, I, I've definitely considered more than one, more than once in my life that, you know, maybe I want to take up duck hunting right. and Grim right now is he doesn't care for the water, yeah. you know, I'm sure I could fix it. You know, I have no doubt that if I throw a bird in the water, he's going in after it. Right. Um, but I'm not going to find that out on live, you know, on, on, you know, wild ducks or whatever else, mm-hmm. um, to, to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, I just don't have the time for it. So, so I don't care, right. you know, because it's just not, you know, applicable to my world. Um, right. you know, I want him to, point grouse i want him to point woodcock and i want him to hunt rabbits mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you and, know, and, and, and so you have the dog for usual, that need but yeah yeah and, and and that's all i want and he retrieves but most griffons are just really good natural retrievers i don't put a lot of time into it if he decides he is not going to bring a bird back to me i don't care right. we're moving on and again this gets down to those preferences your world though however is now talking about a competitive world mm-hmm. where these things become about very strict standards, about, uh, you know, very high bars, um, you know, very narrow um, requirements of things. And um, there's a whole group of people that really love that world. They want to be competitive. They want to, um, you know, I, I think about, you know, reading an article about, uh What's the uh, setter there that won the Ames? Uh, is it Bo? Oh, um, 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 I just posted it. Shadow Oak Bo. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, talking about how expensive it was to use him as a stud dog yeah. and just hearing yeah. about that world. And it's just like, it, you know, it's I mean, it is just a different world. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing here. Making this clear distinction. So on to my kind of next question about this stuff. What all right? what goes on out in like out West, like in the Prairie. So, so I get like this whole, all right, we got the cover dog trials up, up. And I assume that those also reach up into Minnesota, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Michigan area. Yep. So what goes on once you get out into the Western game area, Prairie game, stuff like that? What, what, what are those called? So those are, those go back to your more all age dogs. Um, you have shooting dog trials out there, but again, remember shooting dog, are, they're still within sight range. I think the biggest thing, the way that I understand it is it is based on the country. The dog is going to change its range. So again, cover dog trials, they need to be a little bit closer working. Um, you still got pointers and setters, so on and so forth, mostly setters. Um, down here in the South, you got shooting dog trials and we'll get to that. But then out West, um, think about the, the way that the landscape is laid out, right? Like if you go to Montana if you go to Idaho, if you go to Wyoming, if you go to, you know, those Western states, even so far as Saskatchewan, you know, in Canada, a lot of trainers go out there to, to train young puppies. It's like a like a Mecca almost. Well, you've got more all age dogs, which is probably the 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 highest you know level for ranging because you need a dog to fill up all of that country you need you've got dogs hunting 
was it sharp tails out there? Um, you know, your sage grouse, you've got chucker trials, you know, you've got those dogs that need to fill up a greater amount of area. So, all right. So now I guess here's, here's my question going from here. All right. So we got cover dog world up in the North. So these grouse dogs, we have these Western game dogs and we have these Southern quail dogs. Mm-hmm. They're like, all of these dogs come together in one final, you know, like Super Bowl, or are <laughs> they all separate clubs? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. all right, so, so what goes on up here with these cover dog trials? Is that still American Field? Yes, all of it is American Field. They're just different, um, like different departments of American Field. So you will have, um, you you will have like the the, the, the cover dog championships, right? Like you'll have a, a championship trial for that. And there's a number of trials that you have to compete in to basically get enough points to qualify for that championship you have. And, and there are 50 million different. I don't want to you know get into the nitty gritty of which championship, blah, 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 because there's a lot of them. But there are, you know, more, you know, championships out in, uh, you know, like Manitoba. Right. And those are the more Western dogs. And those are the dogs that have basically risen through the ranks and and filtered down to the one championship that reflects, you know, the overall dog. Um, right. You know, and then you have uh, matter of fact, I'll, the, like one of the names for that, for those particular championships is the open, uh, the all age chicken championships, which is prairie chickens. Well, that is the pinnacle trial. Okay. The it's, it's a national trial for dogs that have been competing out there. They go to, and they compete against each other. Um, down here in the South, the aims and the, the, the aims trials, um, the national, um, the open national trial, um, you've got the continental, which is these are all run on wild birds, but they're down here in the south. So they go from like Alabama to Georgia to some in North Carolina. And those are the trials that qualify dogs that have been competing down here in this area. So they're very specific individual championships that you have to compete in a number of different other trials to basically rack up enough points to get to the championships. So there is, all right. So like, so you, so, so American fields got to figure it out in the sense of like what we've talked about, like people stay in their lanes. So it's like if if everybody's (laughs) competing their quail dogs, there's one best quail dog. And if everybody's competing their cover dogs, there's one best cover dog. Everybody's competing their chicken dogs there's one best chicken dog. But now that chicken dog, cover dog and quail dog don't meet up and have a fist. They they, very, (laughs) very seldom. Are you going to see a guy, (laughs) you know, down here (laughs) that's running quail trials very seldom are you going to see him go up to Wisconsin <laughs> and compete in those trials because they, those, those dogs just, you know, I mean, I'm sure they could figure it out over the course of time, but they're just not going to know what to do in the short amount of time that a trial, you know, runs. You see what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. would, I would never bring Vegas up to 
you know, to hunt against my buddy, Paul Cook. Um, he's got some really good grouse dogs. You see what I'm saying? Vegas would get mopped up. Well, and I, I also look at, um, you know, people probably, you know, I've heard people say this before, um, that they're, you know, how do you make a good bird dog? And, and, and I'm, I, I'm specifically talking about wild birds here. Yeah. This is very important. So how do I make a good grouse dog? How do I make a good woodcock dog? How do I make a good sharp tail dog? Uh, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, so one of the things that people will hear people say is, well, they need to be put on wild birds right? and bird exposure is one of those things. And, right. and I think for the sake of, of understanding that stuff and, and kind of describe the, the differences of all this is that dogs learn habitat mm-hmm. just like, you know, and, and I can relate to it as a grouse hunter, uh, you know, because we're looking for a very narrow specific cover. Um, you know, that's, it's a minority of the, of, of the forest in our area, right. um, especially in new England. And I'm looking for this very specific, you know, kind of all these perfect things be together. Well, my dog runs through there and my dog finds a grouse here, finds woodcock there, whatever else he's been doing it for years. Well, he starts to pick up and understand, you know, whether he's, you know, it's probably a subconscious thing. He starts kind of getting this whole thing. He's learning habitat, you know, ultimately. So all these dogs are going out and they're learning, you know, habitat. So now if I throw my dog and this is, this is literally a, an actual example of field trial world meets, um, AJ, meat hunter. Um, (laughs) I went down to Virginia last year, um, Mm -hmm. to shoot a quail film down there and it's, um, early release quail. So they're not wild quail. Um, but the gentleman who's training all the bird dogs there, um, is a field trialer. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, he no longer does it. He used to, uh, do it down in like tall timbers in that whole area. And Mm -hmm. I guess he's I can't remember his name right now. I feel bad, but I guess he's, he's won some things. He's very reputable, um, in that world, tons of pointers, couple setters, and then grim. And actually they have cockers too. Right. Um, cause you know, we're just playing this whole plantation quail thing. So, right. um, I brought grim because, you know, I'm like, Oh, like quails. Cool. Never done it. Like I'd love to get my dog out there. Well, when we put my dog down, um, you know, there, there'd be these brooks that separated these, you know, really stereotypical looking Virginia pine stands, you know, mm-hmm. with all this undergrowth and, and whatnot. And, you know, you'd have to cross through these like little swampy areas, you know, like to get to the next one, you know, like, like these roads would kind of wind through them and there'd be little brooks. And right. anytime we get to one of these crossovers, Grim would just tear down these brooks, you know, these little swamp areas and just start hunting the hell out of them. And and finally, uh, one of the guys says, you know, he says, what in the world is that dog doing? (laughs) (laughs) Because we're in the field and Grim's just trying to find woods, Uh you know. Um, And the the gentleman who is the field trialer laughed and he goes – well, that there's a woodcock dog. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's true because that's, you know, he has been exposed to it. That's what he's done. That's what he understands. He, he, he after a day of running around, he bumped, I want to say the first, I don't know if it was, you know, two, three coveys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he pointed a covey. Um, 
you know, and, and he ended up getting, I think he ended up pulling, I want to say eight or nine cubbies. Right. Um, I mean, densely populated areas. So this isn't like my dog was doing some incredible, like ranging out 6 million yards and finding every covey in every County. Like it was highly dense right. population. So, <laughs> um, you know, so anyways, an example of that. So understanding that and thinking about that again, and, I, and I'm explaining this for people that just don't understand again, this world or, or that. And, and I think this is the confusion. It's like, you know, when you, when you talk about, was it shadow bow, the setter mm-hmm. shadow bow? Yeah. You know, yeah. So when you, you talk about this dog and, you know, you read an article in some magazine, that's like, you know, the best dog that ever happened. It's like, people need to remember that it's the best dog that ever happened in that world. In that world. Uh, and, then, know, and, and even more specific, let me, it's sorry to interrupt. I'm going to be even more specific. Yeah. It's the best dog that ever happened in that world for that specific amount of time. You, you see right. what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Somebody, a new dog's coming along every year. Some dogs might have repeat wins because I think that was one of his things, right? Like mm-hmm. he won multiple times. He's won. And, but, yeah. And, so, and then you're, you're how many times you can win, how many, you know, pr- so it is the dog a producer. So when you breed right. him, do his offspring produce winners, you know? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I can, I can imagine that's, that's a whole other world. Yeah. And you know, there, there's another culture in here. So we've talked about kind of two distinct cultures because we're representing two different cultures on the phone call here. You have AJ bird hunter, who mm-hmm. I'm just, I want to go hunting. That, that's what I enjoy. I don't care if there's sloppy dog work. I mean, obviously I don't want there to be sloppy dog work, but you know, like I'm not looking for the best point that ever happened or, or any of these things. We're just, I'm, I'm looking to enjoy my time out there. And, and I, I really enjoy living through my dog, you know, right. like I really love how much he's into it. And that, I think that that's consistent through every application of all these topics, but, and then you're on the spectrum of these Southern quail dogs and these, these trials and these competitions. Right. Well, there's another world that I do see, um, which, you know, you see in NAVDA, which there are people who don't compete with their dogs. Mm -hmm. And now I I want to define kind of a different lane of competition, which is this theory of hunt testing, Mm -hmm. um, where it's like these people will build dogs to pass specific things. So in the world of NAVDA, you have a natural ability test and you have a utility test and then it's the invitational. Um, I forget how you get all the way up to an invitational, but there's certain requirements to actually be able to go there, um, to uh, over my head. Nevertheless, the point I want to make here is that there are people that that's their thing. Like they just really enjoy building these dogs that can successfully make it through these systems. And there are people that do that, that will never go out and hunt wild birds. Right. And and that's okay. And and this is again, one of those distinctions that I want to point out here is that People need to recognize that people have different different interests, different loves, different reasons, different dogs, mm-hmm. different everything. Mm-hmm. I've seen this said a lot on the internet. Um, you know, what is what is the best bird dog? Well, it's your bird dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the one that you get and take him wherever you want to take him. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's and we should remember that. And again, the application of it, and you know, we we've we it's important to understand. And, and I'm saying this to people who still scratch their head about all this testing and trialing and everything else. The important, and, and I actually, I, I was having breakfast with Dave Tran well, sometime last year mm-hmm. and we're in the middle of eating and he just looked at me and he said, do millennials care about 
accolades. And good, good question. That's a big, yeah, it's, it, and it's and I'm, he's the national president now, so I'm sure there's a lot of discussions about this stuff. And, you know, I sometimes, you know, because, again, Dave's been a mentor to me. So sometimes I wonder if he asks me questions to inspire me to do things or if he's asking me questions because he wants an answer. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, driving home and thinking about that. And, and um, you know, it's important for everybody to understand that protecting the bloodlines of these dogs is crucial. Mm-hmm. Um and not to single out a breed because they get a bad rap in in for certain reasons, and I'm going to clarify those reasons. German short hair pointers. Yep. They are the eighth most popular dog in the country, not for hunting dogs, for literal all dogs, mm-hmm. meaning that most of them are house pets. <laughs> right. So the problem is, is when you put dogs into these circumstances. Um, and there's a popularity, therefore a demand for them. Now you end up stuff with puppy mills, poor breeding practices, people not paying attention to it, people introducing, you know, these mutt bloodlines or whatever it might be. It is important that these systems exist to protect the integrity of these, what these breeds were designed to do. Mm-hmm. And so there has to continue to always be a world where it's, from hunt tests to, you know, NAVDA to field trialing for these breeds to truly be protected by people who are hyper-focused on that idea, making a better dog, pushing a better dog forward. You know, that was a big thing I took from that Llewellyn article when I did digging Mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, the idea of the Llewellyn was to just make an incredible hunting dog, (laughs) you know, like that's literally what I took from it. And that definition, as we've, you know, talked about in this conversation already changes depending on where you're from. You want a dog to behave different in grouse cover. You want a dog to behave different in quail cover. You want a dog to behave differently in, you know, in prairies or, or wherever it might be some kind of forested habitat or, or, or whatnot. But Nevertheless, point being is that this concept of protecting the integrity of these breeds and to push these breeds forward. And that's another thing that you and I talked about. And this was kind of this conversation because, again, just like some people looking at that whole barrel thing, which like when I got down to Virginia, dogs are going up on barrels and Mm -hmm. I'm just like. I'm like, what, you know, like, just, <laughs> you, you know, you know, it's funny is because when I trained Grim, you know, I would go over once a week with Dave mm-hmm. and we would work together and then I would work Grim every day at home yeah. and I didn't have, you know, a woe table. Yeah. Um, so what I would do with Grim is I put pieces of plywood in my backyard mm-hmm. and when we came over a piece of plywood, I would woe him on that piece of plywood, right. you know? So it's like, there's just like these, there's just all these different ways that, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's Absolutely. more. And, and I know, I know some of the questions too, about this concept of, uh, you know, barrel was, is a barrel truly effective in woe training? You said, say, um, that, say that last part one more time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to call tomorrow. Let me see if I can, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, So one of the distinct questions I know that was out there is, you know, does a barrel actually reinforce and build this theory of woe training or is it about molding and sculpting a dog? You know, so again, you don't even have to get into it because 
this is about molding a world going forward. I right. guess there was, there was no pun intended. I don't know why I kept using the word molding there. But <laughs> anyway, so like part of what's coming out of all this is a clear distinction even on projectupland.com. You and I talked about this. Right now, if you click on bird dog training, you are going to eventually dig down there and find this article on using a barrel to train a dog. Right. Concern being is – if I'm AJ plywood in the backyard, I'm better off with my plywood in the backyard. Yeah. Um, so this clear distinction to show people that these things are done for different things. Again, I don't think you'd, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody's throwing, you know, any kind of versatile breed, um, up onto <laughs> a barrel. Like I don't think anybody's it, throwing any uh, drawhars up on a barrel anywhere. But <laughs> I, you know, I haven't really seen it. Um, there's one guy I know. Um, his name is Richard. I mean, he was doing it, but again, he was competing with his dogs. Um, right. That the 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 practice of barrel training. It is. If if I'm just being real about it, yeah, it can fundamentally work for whatever breed, but that training method and tactic, I personally feel like, yes, it's probably better geared to a, 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 the, the, the competitive dog, yeah, you know, well, because you're trying to instill a certain mentality and a certain ideology within that dog. Right, right. And I know like the whole trying to bring this tail up because there's stylized judgment yeah. going on in the field. And, and that's, again, this, this other thing where people see people, you know, uh, you know, combing the or patting these tails up and and, and going for this high tail. Um, that's a competitive driven thing. Right. Um, and again, if you were just somebody that's completely new to this and, and, and I mean, I live and breathe this stuff seven days a week. Um, because of Project Upland. So I get overexposed to it. it, it but the reality is, is that most people who are three years into their first bird dogs probably aren't getting this or probably haven't been introduced to it or haven't been exposed to it. The people that understand kind of this trial thing and everything are people that probably grew up in it right. uh, more so than ever. Um, some people I'm sure uh, hopefully will inspire people to take this road up, you know, mm -hmm. that are completely outside of it who never was related to anybody that did it or didn't hang around people that did it. Um, you know, and that's kind of the whole concept of this, but you know, it's, it's up to project upland to make a distinction and to, um, again, all the way back to that Facebook community page post where it's this idea of if somebody finds a bit of information, it's important that it has context mm -hmm. is really what it comes down to. So me and you are in the process and um, I, I'm going to say that before we even launch this podcast, we should have it at least um, – initially done on the website and whether we tweak it in the future is changing some category tags based around content that is on these topics. So right. again, if I'm AJ DeRosa, I'm coming to learn something new about training a dog. I click on bird dog training. I don't stumble upon barrel training and suddenly think that this is a normal everyday practice. Right. Um, and it works. Don't get me wrong. It, it, and, and right, it right. works for whatever dog, work. but the, yeah. the root of it is yes. Rooted in trial. It's based in field trials. Yes. Right. Right. So, so that's kind of, again, getting down to this, this, and, and there are people who uh, I think we should point out here too. There are point, people who train pointers who do not use barrels, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's not like a requirement or anything like that. So, you know, like, so now me and you, one of our big, you know, kind of 
piece of work we're doing here is all right. So, you know, what are the names of these tabs? Um, how are these things, what's the hierarchy to organize this content? And again, so people are finding the proper lane mm-hmm. of where they should be and, and whatnot. You know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I tend to be a little more oversensitive when I see a lot of things posted because I have a Griffon and Griffons do have a reputation for being very sensitive dogs, mm-hmm. um, kind of scared dogs, um, and and I sometimes I don't I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think it's more about confusion than it is anything. Yeah. Um, you know, more than a softness. Um, there's actually a, a Griffon guy from Navia that wrote an article for us some time ago called "Is Your Dog Soft or Confused?" Right. Um, you know, and Griffons are very quick to I think cling on to their owners and, and very um, intimate you know, animals. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking for you for this guidance. And when they're confused, they just kind of like shut down. Right. right. <laughs> so, so I was really paranoid to introduce Grim to gunfire. Um, I didn't introduce him to an e-collar till he was well over a year old. Um, you know, I was really slow to introduce him to a lot of stuff because I actually just had this like over fear of like, Oh, all these things are going to go on. And then, you know, rewind to seeing somebody post on the Facebook community page and they're shooting over a, you know, whatever it is, like a three month year old puppy. And and like, I understand the, the horrifying nature of that, even to this greater extreme. Cause it's like, yeah, shoot over a three month Griffon and let me know how that dog's not going to be gun shy. Yeah. Yeah. You you, know, look, like, you shoot over a three month old pointer and we, <laughs> you shoot over right. a three month old anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and that's, and that's, you know, a difficulty of all of this dog training is, is not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. That's why there are professionals. It's also even the, the professional world is concerning because anybody can say they're professional. That's not necessarily true. Right. Um, you know, so it's, it's just, and that's kind of sad and scary about it. And, and what I'm kind of getting at is the power of community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jennifer Wapinski does a lot of writing for us and yep. she spends a lot of time in the Deutsch Longhart community. So another German, German testing system. Um, so, she really clings on to this or, or kind of, I shouldn't say clings on to it, but explains this idea of um, being around other people that are doing the same thing that you're doing and learning as a community, learning as a group. Again, this concept of crowdsourcing, right. which ultimately comes back to Project Upland in the end of this idea of, you know, she wrote an article about getting birds to train dogs. It's like, you know, it takes a village is, you know, what she kind of points out, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to access these birds and, and somebody keeps them, somebody goes and picks them up and then they all meet up and, you know, um, or a NAVDA style community event, you know, these NAVDA chapters that get together, you know, once a month, sometimes even more. And it's just a bunch of people that show up that are really passionate about training bird dogs. There are some professional trainers usually mixed into that mix and people are giving people advice and constructively talking about the these things. So dogs don't get screwed up, right. you know, and, and, and it's, it's so difficult. I mean, I know had I not had Dave, Grim would be, a, a God knows where he would be. I don't, right. I don't even know if I can comment on that. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't know, you know, well, like I, and, and that's it, you know, everything I've learned. And once you start getting down a road and you get a bit of a confidence about it and you've spent some time and not only that you can kind of candidly ask these crazy questions and like you're not just flipping through a book or, or trying to youtube it like like it, it eventually you're going to start doing your own things you right. know it's like i have it in my head and this is probably stupid and i know it's probably stupid but i have it in my head that i'm 
I only run Grimm on wild birds now, you know, like, cause I'm just like over obsessed with that theory. It, it could be like, this, and you know what? I don't know if it's true or not. I just like somewhere in me is like, this is just what we're doing. <laughs> All right. So the only way that you're going to be able to get into wild birds is to know exactly the terrain and habitat and all kinds of features that the landscape gives you. You can do that by using the Onyx Hunt app at checkout. Use my promo code GDN20 to get 20% off your Onyx subscription. I don't think that's stupid. I think that should be if you're talking to, you know, the Gundog Notebook podcast, I I always advocate and preach to train your dogs on wild birds. That's been my thing. That's how I cut Vegas's teeth on, you know, on on wild quail, so on and so forth. And I think as a bird dog community, if that is something I, I, I think it if it's important to you to really maximize the overall potential oh. of your dog, you're going to see that on wild birds. I well, think, and I, we're and I think for, the, go ahead. Yeah. The important thing to point out here is, again, what you want out of your dog. Though. Right. You know, because because, again, that's it. Like if if I'm trying to get to the nav day invitational and, and get a, I think that would be called a prize one. Mm -hmm. Um, that is a different beast than me just like really being into my dog, a dog that can handle grouse, you know, like those are just different things, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I remember when I, when I was first training Graham and, um, you know, I'd have Chucker or whatever else. And, you know, first times he was exposed, we're putting these birds out in the fields and everything else. And like, I eventually had this epiphany. It's like, this dude is never going to find a grouse or a woodcock in a field. Mm -hmm. You know? So I started going into thick cover, you know, and putting the birds in those places. Cause I was like, this is where this is going to happen. You know I mean? And getting down to kind of this, this adaptability and changing these kind of crazy ideas Mm -hmm. and whether again, whether I'm right or wrong, I could be wrong. There's probably people listening to this, like this dude's whack. And that's probably (laughs) true. So if you're new to this, don't believe anything I say, but you know, like, like ask people, explore, do the right thing and just don't do anything that's going to hurt your dog. Right. Well, <laughs> you and know, I, like. I think that's what it really comes down to when we talk about just the idea of a collective community, you know, like when it comes to trialing, I also think that, or, or any kind of community, I think you need to know and, 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 and set an expectation and understand the expectations of what goes on in that community. Like for example, you know, in, in the NAVDA world and, and things, you know, there's this collective thing and everybody's helping each other. And, you know, just like Jennifer was writing and it was a great article. Um, and whereas with the field trial world, you know, I always talk about Neil Carter, for example, right? Like I talk to him as much as you talk to Dave and with Neil, what do I do? I, I go down and I, I take Vegas down to Thomasville and I train with those guys and, and make sure I get the thumbs up to say, hey, this dog is going to be a good trial dog. And and we laugh, we joke, we do this and that. But then guess what, AJ? When I was on the phone with Neil not too long ago, what did he tell me? He was like, look, I'm going to help you to the, you know, to, to the, to the day is in, to the day is done. But when we get on that horse, it's me versus you. And this is a mentor of mine <laughs> telling me right, that, right. you know, but that is the expectation 
when it when when I walked in, I knew that it's it's all fun and games until the dogs are on the ground. And yeah. that is the part of each individual well, community that we have fun. to Huh? I hope you're still having fun when they're on the ground. <laughs> oh yeah, there's plenty it's plenty of fun. But it's at the end of the day, it's still a competition. I mean, I like I right. ran track. I ran track and field and did very well. Um but and and I ran a 400 meter hurdles. I had another guy that practiced with me every day because our, our hurdle group was very small. It was probably three or four of us. You know, it was like two girls and two guys. Well, you know, the guy that I used to practice with, Joe, he's a, he's a good hurdler. And we practiced every day. We did the same drills. You know, we did all of that. But at the end of the day, AJ, I knew Joe was on my tail because he wasn't on scholarship. And I was. <laughs> Right, right. You know, so and and we went, we go party and we go have a great time afterwards. But every day that I was, you know, on the ground, so to speak, I knew that my coach was going to decide on whether or not, you know, Darrell is going to start next or is Joe going to get a scholarship the next year? And I and it wasn't that I wanted him to fail. It was just the aspect of it's a different aspect of competition. Whereas, you know, when I when I decided I wanted to hunt test Ruger, that community is great. Honestly, the Labrador hunt is it's a great community. It wasn't for me. I just, you know, I'm I'm kind of like you in that regard where I don't really care how clean my Labrador retrieves or anything like that. I just need you to get it, swim out there, bring it back. I don't care if you run the bank or if you don't run them, just get the bird and bring it back to me. You know, it's, it's an expectation of what we want. And I think when it comes to training a dog, that is the part that in, in, in making ourselves better and bettering the dog, we have to stay united as a whole community, the field trial community, you know, I'm going down to um, um, Union Springs, Alabama, for a national trial with Tommy Rice, who was on that um, stream the other day. You know, he's a professional trialer. He's got the best intentions and all of that stuff. And he invited me so I can come down and learn. You see what I'm saying? That's that is a kind thing. But then when it comes down to again, if it was my dog on the ground versus his. It's 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 positive competition is what I'm trying to say. And I don't want the the trial world to be misconstrued as this like and I hear it a lot, man. I, I hear it. Guys like, man, I don't see how you could be up against this and somebody say, Well, my dog ain't good, you know, and my dog is better. Well, again, your dog was better than mine today. Yeah. You know, but we're all in it. And like I said, with Neil, he came back and he was like, Look, we're going to sit and we'll compete. And if you win, great. If not, guess what? When we get back to the drawing board, I'm going to help you out again. Well, and, and I think there's, you know, I want to take this kind of one more step further um, before we completely shift gears here. Cause you know, this is for anybody who doesn't understand field trial and we've, you know, covered a ton of ground and, you know, if, if you know, I hope people who are curious about it and don't know about it, keep going. I hope people who are in it, um, you know, weren't too bored about you <laughs> explaining <laughs> what is the obvious to them. Um, but getting back to the evolution of bird dogs, and I kind of want to leave this all here as far as this whole topic is. Um, 
so much has changed in bird dogs. Um, and that's because, you know, there's been another hundred years of evolution, um, advancements in technology, um, the e-collar. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's there's plenty of good um, theories about positive reinforcement training that doesn't involve e-collars and whatnot. But um, nevertheless, we've added in a hundred years of breeding here. Right. Um, these dogs are fundamentally better dogs. They're more narrowly focused on what they're good at, their expertise, all of these kinds of things. So, uh, you know, this is, this is an interesting thing about our community. Um, and, and what I want to point out here is that training can change over time. There are fundamental building blocks that might never change. This is true, Mm -hmm. but as dogs become better, as things advance, things become antiquated and things expire. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I guess this is for me being somebody that is looking from the outside into the world of field trialing is bringing up the questions of antiquated techniques, Mm -hmm. um, whether they're necessary, whether dogs can be built that can win in different, you know, by different methodologies, Uh, but not even getting down to that. But again, all of us understanding that when you read a book that's a hundred years old, um, you know, we were talking about all sorts of old books the other day, um, Dogcraft, you know, right. whatever, you know, whatever these like, you know, serious old books, yeah. those dogs are practically wild animals right. compared to what the dogs are that we have today. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's important for people to remember. Um, and, and even further past this, and, and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole. We'll talk about it more on project upland a little bit more in the future, but it comes down to, um, this science study. And this gets back to my background in deer hunting and, uh, the urban deer complex, the book I wrote, um, urban deer complex, 2.0, which is the second book I wrote um, about this idea of animal behavior um, and this scientific study that about uh, tr- uh, transgenerational stress inheritance, mm-hmm. which essentially means that um, in the deer world, I'll, I'll use the example of the deer world. I'm a deer. I go out into the world. I almost step out into the street, almost get hit by a car, and I live. Um, happens multiple times. I have now have a stress built up about this. Mm-hmm. When I now, when that deer passes on its uh, passes on its, uh, you know, whatever. If it's if it's a doe and it has, uh, you know, it has fawns, or if it's a buck and it, you know, impregnates another, you know, impregnates a doe, whatever. That is passed on to that fawn, whether that fawn almost gets hit by a car or not. So what I'm trying to point out here, and this has nothing to do with dogs, but this is about how the game is changing. Mm -hmm. This has to do with birds. These studies were verified on stuff like mice. And somebody actually emailed me the other day talking about a study that was about a guy that was exposed to rough grouse on an island. And I need to find it because it's, I got to go down this rabbit hole and essentially getting exposed to these rough grouse that were like, essentially had never saw a dog in its life and would stay still for them, just wouldn't run. Um, You know, I wrote this article this year about Woodcock, um, you know, walking away from points this year, this season, I've never seen so many birds walk away from dogs pointing (laughs) in my life. I I, I mean, it's just, it's like, they just, they turned into little marathon runners this year. Um, 
And I've heard people time and time again say things like, oh, they've always done that. Or sure, I'm sure plenty of birds have done that in the past. The point is, is that there's true scientific facts that says that these birds that are constantly being hunted, uh, whether it's a quail, a grouse, uh, whatever it might be, are passing on the genetics for the things that we're teaching them with our bird dogs. And they're becoming increasingly more difficult to hunt and add in evolution you know, the birds that want to hang out around the roads end up getting killed, you know, whatever yeah. else they don't pass on their genetics um, or even a habitual thing. It's definitely easier to talk about when it comes to deer. Um, my point being is that the dogs have gotten better, mm-hmm. but the birds have also gotten more difficult. Um, and, and I want people to really think about that. And I know there's probably some old timers up here being like these damn millennials and they think blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I walked up, you know, yeah. I walked to school 10 feet of snow uphill both ways. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Birds are fundamentally getting more difficult than they than they always have been, and they always will. Uh, you know, and that's like I know, like I've been to some places in like the most northern reaches of Maine, like just way up there. And yeah. those, uh, you know, we call them Maine chickens because you practically, you know, they just they don't even want to fly. You right. know, it's like I always laugh because Chet always makes fun of me and Nick because he says, Oh, you know, like when we go out here and we hunt rough grouse in Idaho, like you practically got to kick them, you know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and again, it, this comes down to these exposures and everything else. So, you know, these are those two extremes that I want to point out in our world is that um, whether people realize it or not, bird hunting is evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, the dogs are getting better. Um, the theories of training are slowly evolving. I, I mean, some of the most basic fundamental things have, you know, that we stick to and are foundational probably forever have already been invented. Right. Um, you know, it's just, and most of those people are passed away. Some of them are still alive today, um, you know, and, and nevertheless. And then, you know, the birds are getting more different difficult. And there was a quote that I used in Urban Deer Complex, and, and I'm going to botch it. Um, essentially, the the gist of the quote is, um, you know, that tradition has to evolve. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, an art has to evolve. If it doesn't, it's a corpse. Right. Um, and I think that's important for everybody um, in this situation. I want everybody to take that from these things and understand that there is an importance to the evolution of everything. There's an importance to an evolution of how we talk about these things. There's an importance to the evolution of these things being captured in new media. There's an importance for us to remember where we've been. There's an importance for us to document the history that came before us. There's an important for there's an importance for us to question the history. There's an importance for us to confirm the history. There's an importance for us to try new things, to mm-hmm. pave new roads, to try all these different things. So, so that's just, you know, really, and that's what this is about. You know, what this gun dog notebook evolution is about is like, okay, like we have an identity. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. an identity on this podcast and, and let's go into it and let's see where it takes us to, yeah. you know, a, a year plus ago, you and I hopped on a call and we talked and you came over to the project upland world and, um, ended up on the project upland listen, um, you know, kind of thing. And, um, you know, there's only three podcasts that exist on the listen. It's, it's, um, you know, the gun dog notebook, Project Upland podcast and Project Upland on the go, which is just audio recorded articles from the website. Right. Um, I'm sure there'll be stuff in the future. Um, you know, I'm always asking you and Nick questions about other people's podcasts and what I see out there and, yeah. you know, thinking about, you know, other things that I might, you know, we might want to bring into the brand or and the important thing is what can serve the community. What can keep the conversation going that we all evolve, right. you know, is really what I'm getting to. You're evolving. This podcast evolved. 
you talking about field trial and I hope evolves things, um, whether it's just uh, capturing the knowledge so it gets redistributed or, um, you know, brings new people uh, that, you know, bring up these incredible dogs that might not have happened. Um, I just hope that, there, that, that that all those things come out of this um, is that, and that, that there's this evolution of all of it. And also, I mean, my thing to you, and I'll, I'm going to say it while we're on a podcast, and I said this to you the other night when we talked about this, is to be devil's advocate, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and make sure that the hard questions are asked. Um, and that's that's important for everybody in anything. Um, that's a lot of topics that we've had lately about, you know, okay, like what's both sides of the story? Right. So, and I think when it comes to dogs, that's an important th- one thing, you know, it's just more than one way to skin a cat. There's, so there's more than one way. And again, it's important. It is important to ask these questions and to be devil's advocate. Um, you yes. know, I ain't got no problem with it, but yes. um, no, and I, and I think you'll do great. And I think, <laughs> you know, I, and I think, you know, the other cool thing is, is what we talked about is like, you know, you said to me the other night, like, I want to compete, you know, I want to get out there. And, and, and that's, you know, I look back at, you know, me, you know, I grew up grouse hunting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we had a dog when I was a kid, we had a Brittany, but, you know, I, I don't really remember it that well. And, you know, we hunted woodcock and then, uh, you know, I hunted grouse off and on my whole life, but without a dog and, you know, and then I really went off the deep end for it and then just, you know, just took this major deep dive into becoming a grouse hunter. And this, you know, again, is like my evolution. And that was kind of the contributing factor that happened to the beginning of Project Upland was just this immense curiosity I had about grouse and woodcock hunting. Um, and now I'm just like super hardcore about woodcock. And and, I mean, the big thing is availability, you know, Mm -hmm. like I have them, you know, like the grouse hunting immediately around my house isn't that good. So, you know, the woodcock hunting is, Mm -hmm. um, and I love the idea that I can just chase them right through new England and follow that migration. Like it's just, so I get super stoked on it. But if you'd asked me three years ago, like, would I go off the deep end for woodcock? No, I wouldn't. So like, you know, your evolution here now, and I think it is important driving factor of project upland is, is using this, this soapbox or I shouldn't even say soapbox you're using this, this platform for people to take these explorations into things, you know, this perspective to ask questions, to investigate, to, to experience, to submerge. That's a fundamental difference Mm -hmm. between project upland and just about every other upland brand out there is the people that work in it like myself and everybody else. We have bird dogs. We're obsessed with it. We do it all the time. Like, it is, we use every excuse in the book to be out there hunting, doing right. those things. We're not sitting in some office and, and just getting invited to these private hunting operations mm-hmm. and hunting over other people's dogs. Like, so, and, and that's important. So, you know, you're, you know, you're starting down this path for the project upland community where you're submerging yourself into this competition and, and sharing that experience with us, bringing the people you meet in, yeah. seeing the things you see, questioning the things around you, exploring this whole new world and i mean that's that's truly what project upland is about and again bringing up this conversation brings up the opportunity to crowdsource and yep. that's what we're trying to do yep absolutely the past expand into the future yep. that is i mean that is that's the goal man um you said it the other day um and i, I really want to hold on to this but as far as trialing you know really talking about the the, the working man's trial dog you know like you said we're not I'm not hunting over anybody else's dogs. You know, the result of whatever trials that I get into is going to be the, a direct result of 
the you know training and experience that I'm I'm putting into this dog and and even at the at the core fundamental at the at the at the at the core of the gun dog notebook was always talking about documentation and development you know like that's that's really what it when when I came into Project Upland you said look let's talk about dog training okay great well now we're being more specific and and getting into the field trial aspect of it um and I really want to make it an open forum because sometimes a lot of the a lot of the times people might see the trial world as very esoteric you know and oh, definitely. You know, and it, it, I mean, it, it it comes off very esoteric. Whereas, I want to create an area, an avenue that you know respects trainers and their methods and things like that, but also invites people that you know very well, like you said, could could have the next champion or whatever it is, but they just don't know who or what to ask. I don't care to ask because I, I've been fortunate enough to have great mentors that all have championships under their belt, but also to let folks know these dogs mess up too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting emphasis on a different type of dog, but at the core, the convert, the conversation is, is very similar. Whether you want a trial dog or a gun dog is how do I do this? And where do I go find the resources? You know, you know, is uh, and and then to yes, challenge antiquated ideals. You know, tools. Why you know my dog looks a certain kind of way, or why this dog looks a certain type of way. Why does this dog act a certain type of way based on its background? All of these we can do and we can approach in a highly intellectual um, manner. And I think that's another thing that Project Upland does well, and and you've always challenged me to do is challenge it to you know to 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 be as informed as possible and be as creative as possible with you know the the dialogue yeah yeah well and that's the you know open crowdsourcing is is being open to error you know um that's something i learned well before i got into project upland um you know i i ran um a really big nightclub in boston and um i learned that world you know top to bottom i didn't ever go to clubs before i ended up in that job it was just a unusual (laughs) circumstance and one of the you know big lessons i walked out of there with and i did that work for seven years before i came into doing this was um and this is about i just becoming an adult i guess is um understanding, uh, or, or recognizing mistakes, correcting mistakes, not being afraid to do that. And that has been a cornerstone of project upland. Mm-hmm. Um, there are articles that we have written that there have been errors that get adjusted. Um, there are, um, you know, this whole concept of being able to, you know, go back and fix things, um, you know, be able to confess mistakes. And I've seen, um, other worlds of, uh, you know, in the upland media industry that we've been exposed to where there are things that just go on. And I'm just like, I I mean, there's some bold terms I want to do to explain (laughs) the lack of authenticity, but I'm just going to go with the lack of authenticity. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I I agree. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw too many stones here. So nevertheless, um, you know, that, that's an important thing. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's what I love about the community and the audience is people aren't afraid to pipe up. If you're, if you're just being vicious to be vicious, you're going to get shut down in our world. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, and most of the, you know, like you're going to get banned from the community page. You're going to like, but if you want to open up constructive conversation, like again, before I, I, you know, we spoke, I had listened to a podcast um, that had at one point in the podcast brought up this idea of the barrel training thing. You know, I, I pay attention to everything, what people are saying. And that was one piece of the puzzle that that me and you came back to the drawing board and started talking about direction for the for the gun dog notebook going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's that's, uh, you know, and, and I blame myself again, like, because I have no, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be staring a ship here. So I have no problem taking the heat or saying, Hey, you know, like this, we weren't clear enough here. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to be very clear and very finite of what is being explained again, because we don't want people to screw up their dogs. We don't want somebody to start running down a path or start going down a rabbit hole that has nothing to do with their world. Um, and we want people who want to find information that's relevant to them to be able to easily find it. I mean, you know, I, I always joke that I want project Updance to be like the Wikipedia of, of bird hunting. And it's yeah. like, I mean, navigatable content is hugely important to that. Like, mm-hmm. like if you, you know, if, if, if you need to find stuff about training a field trial dog, I want you to have a clear place that you can go on that website and start to dive into these podcasts and dive into this information. Um, you know, for people listening to this, um, you know, Darrell, we, we've, we've, we talked about this, you know, I said, well, essentially, you know, we want to make you our field trial editor, Yeah. you know, um, and we're having a couple announcements come out this year of, of people in these different editorial positions. Um, and the importance of that is bringing people who can get a little more into details. I'm never going to go down the field trial rabbit hole. Um, the conversation we had here has virtually satisfied most of my questions. Yeah. And look, and we haven't even, you know what, if I could go down, if we could really go down the rabbit hole, we'd be talking for days, AJ. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I will pay attention and check in and listen. And, and I, you know, I pay attention to everything everybody's doing in the Upland space, even not our brand. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I'm, I'm just in, you know, I think I'm, I'm very curious person to begin with. So, um, you know, it, it's just, again, this concept of, uh, as we, the brand grows and we go into these different worlds is to have people who have that level of curiosity for those specific things. Yeah. Um, you know, this, and, and I've, this is like, I feel like if people could probably just like, you know, quote this without me even having to say it for everybody who's listened to me on a podcast. I always say it, you know, Project Upland wasn't about AJ DeRosa hunting 12 different places, 12 different species, 12 different whatever, you know, we're not this idea of celebritum and hunting. We're not this idea of social influence. We're not, we're none of these things. It's this idea of capturing, we're storytellers, we're curators. Um, Those are the things that we're doing. The only thing I'd ever say, uh, you know, is, that I'm a professional storyteller and there are better filmmakers than me. Um, I have hired better filmmakers than me. Um, there are better writers than me. Um, there's better photographers than me. Um, there's all those things. My job is to find other storytellers (laughs) to help continue to tell more good stories and to accurately depict what it is to evolve 
to do those things. And now we're getting into the point where it's important that we bring people that are passionate about these specific things because passion is what Project Upland was birthed out of. Passion is why people are interested in different parts of it. Um, and passion is what it takes to, uh, you know, drive that. I mean, having passion for field trials is going to take to have some kind of good look at it and understanding and experience of it. Because if AJ DeRosa tries to go from writing about woodcock hunting to field trialing, well, that would just be a disaster. It would be fraudulent, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, like, uh, it it would be all those things. And, and even, you know, woodcock, like, like I am, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. I just write about my experiences firsthand. This is, this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. This is what I've done. It's an evolution, you know, um, and that's what the urban deer complex was, which was the first thing I ever did in the hunting industry. And I, I had a fascination for white-tailed deer. I grew up just outside of Boston. That's what I had. That's what I did. Um, and I went down one serious rabbit hole there. And now, you know, now it's having a bird dog and hunting grouse and woodcock. And I, and I do like going hunting other things, but don't get me wrong. When I check in and go hunt sharp tails out in Montana, like, I'm not the expert. I just, (laughs) there's other people there that now I'm there saying, okay, like who actually knows what they're doing here and who can write. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and, and that's what it should be, man. I mean, I think we're past the point of there, everybody being an expert or everybody there, there's being, there's a professional for one particular thing. I I think in the 21st century, people are more inclined to finding their own ways to do things and they work. And and I think that capture mechanism is important. So it's like, again, it's like, so think about somebody as an editor, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's say I'm the grouse and woodcock editor of project upland. I have an inherent passion for the topic. I am proactively involved in the topic. However, in the project upland theory, which this we're going back to like year one of project upland. Mm -hmm. What are all those films? The first, like, 20 films or Project Upland are only grouse and woodcock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's because that's where this came from. You yeah. know, like, and that was just, but I wasn't going out there and walking next to some dude and being like, okay, everybody film me with this guy. And like, I'm going to be like talking about woodcock hunting. Right. It's like, no, I recognize that this person has this passion in this place and there's a time and a space and a story here. I can make a film. Right. <laughs> That's just why I, I'm passionate about the topic and I can make a film. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and I think that there's, there's this confusion and identity crisis in the hunting culture in general right now about like, you know, social influencer world is just like a train wreck right now. Oh my gosh, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's just, uh, dude, I don't even want to get started on it. Cause it's like, it's just so far from what our brand is because again, we don't shoot multiple films about the same people. You know, we don't, we're not like taking one person and having them hunt the world and be a super hunter. Like it's so far from our brand, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, you know, I just see this like misguided aspect of this whole thing. Again, the celebrity and this concept of, of being a celebrity of it. And it's like, the problem is, is that like, what the world needs is storytellers. We need good filmmakers. We need good photographers. We need historians. We need, these are podcast hosts. We need all these different things that are certain skill sets Project Upland, the success of Project Upland isn't because, sure, is AJ passionate about bird hunting and that was an important thing? Yeah, that kept me up until 
three in the morning every night working on it. That right. keeps me working seven days a week, you know, because I'm just inherently into it. Yeah. But that doesn't, um, that doesn't feel the intricacies of SEO management, social media, uh, work, um, understanding, you know, the intricacies of website building, graphic design, understanding marketing, all these different things that go into it. Those are the skill sets that, that, that makes up this company. Again, you, you look at certain people are unbelievable photographers. That's their thing They're You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use an example. Um, Let's say um, Adam Regeer, uh, you know, him and his brothers do Modern Wild up in Minnesota. Um, I shot a film with them some years ago called Timber Rocket, one of my most favorite films that I ever did. I absolutely love spending time with those guys. And Adam uh, just has an eye. And that's one thing about film and photography. Like, you can't just go out and buy a camera and just think that it can happen. It's like, it's, it's just like if I went out and bought, you know, paint supplies and started trying to paint, you know, like a Rembrandt, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, like, it's just like some people have it and some people don't sure you can refine skills, but it's like either you have it or you don't, you know, Adam or gear has this in eight, artistic ability to tell stories and to capture images and to bring that together into one thing. Um, I talked to Adam for years before he made a project upland film for us. You know, the first film he did for us was, um, flushing grouse with, um, uh, the Heller brothers up in Michigan, which I just, I loved that film and it's about the storytelling and it's about capturing those things. It's, it's just, again, that's the things that we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate the people that have the artistic skills to, do certain things. And we want to celebrate the people that have inherent passions that get captured and get that moment with one of our filmmakers or storytellers or photographers or whatever else to do this. And and that's what this is all about is like this, just this want to capture it all, this want to bring it in. And there will never be enough time. There will not be enough time in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime or, or whatever else for us to capture everything that we truly want to do in this brand. And that's why things like we only shoot just over a dozen films a year. I get pitched a million film ideas a year. If your idea gets passed over, I always apologize. I'm sorry, but it's like, it's just, there's so many good stories and there's only so many that we can do. Mm-hmm. And there's just a million reasons of why we choose certain things or don't choose certain things. Um, you know, and, and again, that's what this is. It's about a curation at the end of the day. Right. Um, and, and again, getting back to it, this is another per this, this moment in time for the gun dog notebook brings up an important fact about our brand. There are plenty of people, and I'm going to lump myself in there. I am just not interested in field trialing. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. And and it's 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 not, it, and it's because I'm inherently not into competition. Yeah, it's not because I'm interested. Like I love reading about the history of of setters and pointers and hearing about this stuff. I'm definitely a little fascinated when I hear about like you know this dog that's like a rock star. You know, like like there's definitely stuff that I'm curious about. Um, but I'm a casual consumer. It's right. not like this like huge thing that I'm into. Project Upland, you don't have to be into everything in Project Upland. Mm-hmm. I, we don't want you to be. If if you're into everything we do, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there are going to be people that you just don't connect with, that you're going to look at that story and you're going to be like, yep, nope, complete and, turn off. And that's doesn't totally do it fine. For me. And that's completely fine. Yep. That, that's exa- you know, exactly the point that I'm getting to where it's like, uh, again, I went down to Virginia, saw these people quail hunt. 
I could walk out of there and say, I get it. I understand what they're into it. Not for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, would I hunt Bob White again? I mean, I'd like to hunt them in prairies for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and stuff like that. But again, we have our things that we like and everything else. So it's, it's, Again, it, it, it's about variety. It's about showing it. It's about capturing all these stories, whether you like the topic or not. It's about capturing these moments in time um, and, and, and just letting that resonate. Let it start a discussion. That's what community is. Storytelling is an evolution anyways. I mean, that's the craziest thing about media in the modern era is like, you know, campfires is like the oldest media capture device ever. You know, you sit around a campfire, we tell stories, we killed this mammoth. Oh, wow. Like this dude killed it barehanded by, you know, week five, you know, he, you know, he, you know, punched it in the face and it died. Like just in, you know, stories evolve, they get insane. You know, now we live in a world where everything is captured with all this media. Nevertheless, the stories start in these conversations and then they evolve. Uh, people in those stories get new loves. They go to, you know, the, uh, as far as what they're chasing or what kind of dogs they have or where they go in the world or, you, you know, whatever it might be. And that's fine. That's all part of the evolution. The important part of storytelling is that conversation was started and now a story can evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about that in the last issue of our magazine about this concept of storytelling and this concept that different mediums capture different things and different people can tell the same story different ways. Um, and that's the beauty of storytelling. And that's what all this is about. Like this is one big game of telephone. Let's try to keep it positive people. Let's let's keep it positive (laughs) and let's learn from it. Yes. Yes. You know, let's learn from it and all of that stuff. Well, I mean, AJ, I, I number one, appreciate you hijacking it because it, it, I, as a self-critique, you know, as, as dog folks, as people, I think we all need to be always self-correcting and reevaluating and thing. I think this was a very necessary, um, you know, turn. I think it was, it was very necessary. Um, and hopefully it, it, we're, we're not, hopefully I know we're doing a whole lot of good for the industry, but I'm, I'm really hoping, hoping that, it also introduces and, 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 and connects the esoteric, you know, trial world to the project upland sector. You know, like we talked about that, you know, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm hoping not. it connects. I, I think it's important for there to be opportunities for storytelling in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you and I talked recently about some offers that we had to cover some things in that world. And I was just, you know, I was dead set against it. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and again, I'm not trying to offend anybody in the field trial world. I'm just being transparent and candid. And, uh, you know, we talked about it and, and actually on that conversation, it ended with, yeah, we're not going to do these things. Mm-hmm. And now with, with the conversation that we've had more recently and, and about shifting gears with the gun dog notebook, um, you know, there's been kind of this, this, you know, okay, well maybe we should be. You know, maybe there should be an allocation of a certain number of films a year that go into the field trial world for our brand. Um, you know, so much attention put in that space and resources allocated for that and an opportunity for people to tell their stories and to get it exposed and to open a conversation about the topic. Mm-hmm. Just like we opened conversations about, you know, grouse and woodcock hunting, you know, yeah. it's it's but it's um, it's, it's it, got to be digestible, though. You well, know. I mean, I think, I think, you know, devil's advocate, man, that's, uh, yeah. and I think it's all digestible. And again, yeah, it's like, I see some of it and I'm just like, again, I walked around on those strings in that field trial up North 
And I was just like, I mean, just, I wouldn't say it was over my head. I was just like, I just don't get this. But mm-hmm. I mean, you're t- again, I didn't play sports in high school. I skateboarded. So, yeah. you know, like I just, <laughs> yeah. just different. And, and like, and again, that's, but that's fine. And again, this is me recognizing that like, that's compl- like, this is me telling that story of like, you're not going to like everything that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily like the whole topic, you know, like, and that's it. But I recognize that there is a need for it, that there's an importance to it. And it's, you know, whether we like to, uh, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I mean, whether we know it or not, um, the trial world has fundamentally influenced where we are today in bird hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of our history period. And and that's in project uplands. Ultimate goal is to cover all of the things that directly re- relate to the topic of what we are. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come up into these kind of subtopics, of stuff like field trialing and everything else. And and we want to be involved in having these opportunities to document it and to tell the story and to go into the, you know, I want people to be able to go on projectupland.com and read an article that says, what is the American field? I told you that was the first article I wanted on the topic. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> and I'm working on it, <laughs> you know, like, and just straight up from there, you know, like, like just these most basic questions all the way up, you know, like, and I, I think it's exciting and, and Hey, you know, maybe, uh, I'm I'm probably going to show up at some big field trial at some point just to like, just to take it all in. <laughs> well, look, I need, I need you when I run Vegas in the uh, Georgia, Florida trials, the black handlers trials, you already uh, allocated the funds to do the, the film on hard day ride. And I need you to show up yes. when, uh, when I run them next year. Well, I heard, uh, well, Craig Koshik is going to make his way down there. Oh yeah. I'm taking Craig to the trial too. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. 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 So, you know, look, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think I just believe it's a, it's an, it's an area that we can have conversations as long as they're constructive and there's some understanding and clarity. Um, but yeah, man, like come on down and, and I got to introduce you to those guys down there anyway. I think you would truly enjoy them <laughs> yeah yeah definitely well as long as uh you know that we're gonna chase some uh georgia rough grouse while we're there oh hey look we could do oh, that it's been a long time of year so. <laughs> it took me long <laughs> enough but i finally flushed a rough grouse in the south so <laughs> i think i think i saw three rough grouse in georgia when i was there <laughs> man i'm surprised you even saw that <laughs> oh, and it was all within like an hour too which is yeah. kind of crazy but just, just it was out. like it was all day of nothing and then all of a sudden it was like three birds in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes. which all of my Southern Appalachia rough grouse hunting experiences have been like that. It's like <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden there's birds everywhere. Yeah. Or I wouldn't call three birds birds everywhere, but look, uh, that's, that's birds enough. I, like I said, I saw one. <laughs> so, you know, that, and, and speaking of which, I think we, um, I think we should throw a piece about public grouse. Um, we were talking yes. about wild birds anyway. With we got public grouse coming up. Uh, really, it's about to get, ramp up next month. Yes, um, tour starts in February. It's twenty stops. I apologize if it doesn't come to your area. Um, this probably will not be the last time. I know it won't be the last time we do a project like this. We are already in the works for another uh, full length film like this um, that will release. Uh, next year, nice. um, we're actually in discussions. We we've started initial kind of storyboarding and where we're going with one of them. Um, and there's kind of a conversation going about a potential third one too. So nice. there would be two next year. Um, and this is just kind of the evolution of the brand again, us capturing stories in new ways. Um, 
I know a lot of people have been sending us emails and I'm like dodging them hard about will there, will this be streaming somewhere? It will be, I can't talk about where yeah. and uh, things are in the process and we don't want to, we don't want to indicate anywhere to find it as of yet mm-hmm. until some things are finalized. And then there will be a uh, streaming opportunity. So for some reason, it's not near you. You are going to get a chance to see it. Go to the events anyways. Yeah. I think a lot, I, I, I know a ton of tickets are sold for them already. I don't know awesome. um, how much is available. Um, I know that some of the people that are in the films will be showing up to some of the events. Yeah. Um, we're trying to get at least one person at each one of the 20 events who is either in the film or involved in production of the film. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's uh, going pretty good. I'm going to be at the Portland, Maine showing. Um, I will not be at the New Hampshire showing. Um, Chet, you know, Chet asked me if I could show up to the Thomasville showing and right. I will be competing that day. And ah, well, then you got, so you got to compete and like go right over there after. I will if I can. If we're done by then, yeah, I would love to go right after. Yeah, you got to like that. I mean, that's like just makes for an epic story, though. You know? like, <laughs> I think we you know, can feel a uh, field trial by day, movie star by night because you're in the film. <laughs> you well, are. In I'm the definitely film. <laughs> going to do it. I mean, I um, I've been trying to piece it together in my head. Like, okay, if I if we get done at this time, because. I think it's like a two hour drive from the place that I'm competing to Thomasville. So right. I, I, I want to see if I can make it. I know the event in New Hampshire starts like, I want to say like an hour and a half before the main one. And yeah. I was talking to Joe Levesque, the uh, Northeast regional director of the Rough Grouse side, who's, you know, a close friend of mine. And um, he was in the film as well. And I was like, well, I'm thinking about just showing up at the beginning of the New Hampshire one and then shooting right up to Portland. He's like, are you, in, he's like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? He's like, you know how far apart that is. I was like, I don't know, two hours. Yeah. He's like, dude, just go to one man. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I am, I'm just going to go to Portland. Um, uh, and I know there's a uh, few people, um, that I'm getting confirmation on is showing up. Um, I know I got, an email from Casey who is in the Alaska segment for oh. Hunt city grouse in the spring. He's going to be showing up at uh, Missoula. Okay. Um, which is really cool. Um, I know Ben Jones, the president of rough grouse side, he's going to be at the Pittsburgh one. Yeah. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure about all the dates for who and what, but there are going to be plenty of people that were in film segments again and involved in production. Um, I'm sure will, uh, who is the filmmaker on it will probably show up at, one of the events either in Washington state or Idaho. Um, and yeah, so yeah. it's cool. Uh, six different species of grouse, um, eight different primary people for the stories. Um, you know, eight different people, eight different locations across the country and really just focusing on the idea that, um, North American grouse, as we know it, as our tradition knows, it couldn't exist without public lands Mm -hmm. is really kind of just the fundamental core of this. Um, And it is just one hour of just a love of bird dogs, wild places, wild birds, and really good filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, very good filmmaking. So, (laughs) So, yeah, so I'm excited about it. And uh, thank you for everybody who pushed us to go longer and longer form content. We finally did it. I know there's people that have been like sending me hate mail for years about it right now (laughs) in a good way. But so, um, yes, we've made the jump and it is – 
I just put in the edits for the first 30 minutes of the film and I'm waiting on the final segment. And uh, my guess is that it will be fully finished within the next week or so here. Excellent. Um, and it will be, I believe the first showing is February 2nd, I think. Yep. So, yeah. Man. So, yes. And you hunted rough grouse in uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. <laughs> I was there for North Carolina um, with Mike Nadeski and uh, Tyler Ross hung out with us for a little bit. Um, and it's it's funny, AJ, in that segment, Mike ended up flushing a grouse towards the end. And I was on the other side of the mountain and I ended up going back up there and finally flushing a grouse of my own. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's uh, the way it works out. <laughs> I, I, I you guys were in the Nantahala. Yep. National Forest. I, I went there uh, one time. I shot a film about Noah Smith. I'm sure yep. plenty of people have come across Noah Smith, uh, which was actually a really fun time. Yeah, Noah's um, cool. Yeah, but we, I mean, we only moved a few grouse that day. It was a, definitely some tough hunting. Um, and there was also, that was when the uh, National Forest was on fire. Um, you know, we're going back four years ago. Yeah, it was a huge forest fire. It took out like thousands of acres. Um yeah, um, it was like whole like there were certain areas that we were actually supposed to go visit because it was like the North Carolina. Um, yeah, it was like a bunch of areas that we couldn't visit um, because of the fire. Um, that there just wasn't, or, or actually, you know, I'm thinking of maybe we were in Georgia when that was going on. That it might that might have been, but dang, that's pretty intense. Okay. Yeah, it might have been the Georgia segment because I think we couldn't go to a certain area in Georgia. But I remember seeing all the smoke when we were in North Carolina. Yeah. But I don't know. I Man, I, I mean, I don't know. It's story, a telephone, man. Storytelling, they evolved. <laughs> <laughs> Whole, you know, from West Virginia down was on fire. By the end of this, in 10 years, that's how I'm going to be telling the story. Probably. Yeah, look, but, <laughs> it makes for no, me. Yeah, no, it it keeps me on cool. the edge of the seat. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a cool trip. We, we did um, West Virginia, Virginia. Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia. Good um, Lord. Yeah, with the Rough Grouse Society. Um, we got to go to Monterey, Virginia, which is where the Rough Grouse Society was founded. I was with Matt Soberg when he was – it was when he was still editor for Rough Grouse Society. And we uh, went and saw the Articles of Incorporation and actually wow. went to some of the, the founding members of Rough Grouse Society and visited their graves. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a really, really cool trip. Okay. So, okay. But, yeah, and it was funny because – you know, Matt's from Minnesota, so it's a flat area. And me being from New England and growing up hunting grouse in the mountains, it was like, you know, culture shock uh, <laughs> for yeah. him. And I was just like, yeah, this is no different. The only thing was the green briar was definitely a little more present once further, further and further south you go. And those rhododendrons, man, oh, those rhododendrons make for some tight cover. I was going to say, you will get hung up in it. I mean, hung up yeah. tough in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it is really crazy how much the um, the cover changes from like the northern reaches of the Appalachians all the way down to mm-hmm. you know the southern reaches. Like uh, even like you know like obviously outside of the mountains hunting woodcock, it's like what a woodcock cover is like in northern New England versus hunting woodcock in Connecticut is just like completely different. Right. Connecticut is like you never think it, but it's like my most favorite place to hunt woodcock. Really? I mean, I want to do that because when we had gotten on woodcock, we couldn't shoot him at the time when we were running into him um, for the public grouse film. We, we flushed about four of them. Um, You know, Mike's dog had pointed them and um, 
you know, when I look at the at where they were at, even one state away. And then last weekend when I was down at Die Lane Plantation and, and um, you know, I ended up taking the two Woodcock there. I mean, di- distinctly different cover. I mean, night yeah, and day. Well, I mean, they're they're opportunists. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of like that. You know, if you make it, they will come. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, that's true. And they're really adaptable. So, like, if you make a cut, they're going to come into it. They'll always find it. Um, they're migrant. You know, they're obviously migratory. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can utilize just about anything. I- I've definitely spent a lot of time and. <laughs> just kind of a conversation I had actually a lot with Joe Levesque because he had some buddies that were doing the same thing. I hunted them a lot in mature pines on the edge of stuff that you would look at woodcock, but I was nailing all of them in the pine, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is part of why I had a lot of birds running because it's barren, you know? So it's like, they have really, you know, they don't have legs designed to make any significant walking journeys or anything like that. But if that, you know, ground is completely cleared out, I mean, that changes a little bit for them. Um, So I think that that's why I saw kind of, you know, one of the contributing factors to why I saw a lot of birds moving aggressively this year. But again, you'd never think to find a woodcock in places like that. But, you know, I had these, these few covers that we come through and, and I mean, when the flights were in, it was just insane, you know, as far as, um, finding them, but yeah, they're super, super adaptable. And when a, when a flood of migration comes through, I mean, you know, what's crazy about them is they can be frustrating. Cause it's like, I mean, I, I've never been a waterfowl hunter, so I'm sure they experience this stuff where it's like, obviously they have days they get skunked, but it's like, I've been in covers. You could go in and I mean, it's a 40 point day mm-hmm. and then you go there and hunt the next day and there's no birds there, right. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, and it's, and it's like, you, you try to like, look at the weather and you're like, all right, like there's these cold fronts coming through North of us. So the birds are going to come down and just like, you try to predict these things. And it's like, I mean, it is just, it is such a guessing game. It, yeah. it is like, it is like a, uh, it's like witchcraft, right. <laughs> you well, know, like, like I, I think that, that it's like that for a lot of birds, man, but especially woodcock. I mean, it, it's so heavily dependent like ducks on that migration. Um, but I mean, you you can never predict what nature is going to throw at you, man. And never, never, you know, on days that I thought I wouldn't see quail because it was just terrible, you know, tether, terrible weather, ground was muddy and stuff like that. We get on them in days that I thought it was perfect. Yeah. So, and, and you being from an area and again, the East, period is just like the worst place for wild bird hunting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's certainly better areas, uh, in certain areas, the East than others, but like, you know, we live in essentially kind of the worst areas for, for hunting wild birds. And, right. um, you know, it's just important to like, you know, falling in love with a bird dog makes that hard truth a lot easier <laughs> it makes- <laughs> because if, if you're not enjoying getting out there and getting skunked, um, then like, you're just never going to be able to, <laughs> that is the <laughs> longest, I'll tell you, it's the longest walk in the world. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's funny. Uh, the, you know, we've gotten a lot of snow here already. So, um, you know, we kind of quit with the grouse hunting once that happens because, right. uh, you know, it's just running a dog through three feet of snow. is just, it's just impossible. <laughs> uh, at least for my dog, it is, I, you know, and, um, I brought Grim out, you know, second to last day I took him for a run and, um, went right out of my house here and, and there's grouse where I live, but they're far and few between. And, and honestly, I just don't even care to shoot them anymore. I just, you know, it's just a pleasant surprise when we run into them. And so I brought, I brought my shotgun and, and went out and 
uh, you know, came back and, and everything. And I'm like putting my gun away. And Sabrina was like, Oh, you brought your shotgun. And like, I, there's no grouse around, around my immediate house area. Yeah. So she was just like curious. And I was like, well, you know, you know, I just figured maybe Grim would think we were grouse hunting. <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring up the excitement of his run a little bit, I guess. Right. But, right. you know, so, but I mean, I, I loved it because, you know, it's funny. He distinctively just has a whole different getup in his step when I'm holding a shotgun versus when I'm not. You know, there's no oh, question about it. It is. It's, it's night and day, and they they love it though, man. I mean, yeah. you, you got to give it to them, and they work hard for us. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because the only thing he really gets good, you know, strong exposure to when I don't have a gun in my hand is woodcock. Yeah. You know, um, I'll spend a lot of time in September and stuff on them, and um you know, stuff like that. So he, but you know, it's like, he knows woodcock cover again, back to that story, Virginia, you walk by anything that looks like a woodcock grins going in there and checking mm-hmm. it out. You know, he's mm-hmm. just like, Hey, I think my friends live here, but <laughs> right. <laughs> and he, and he's so, going to be on but, it. I mean, yeah. And that's, and that's a fun thing. And you know, for all you Eastern people that are listening to it. And, you know, I think I've probably said this to you, Darrell before, I mean, you're in Georgia, so you're kind of at the farthest reaches, but uh, woodcock in my opinion is like, the best wild bird opportunity we have, you know, outside oh, yeah. of waterfowl hunting. Oh yeah. For for hunting along the, you know, the eastern flyway is just so cool. And I mean, the, the migration, you know, it's there's there's plenty of people that, you know, do a lot of hunting for them down in Virginia and mm-hmm. uh all the North Carolina and stuff like that and um it's definitely definitely worth trying it and in even places like you know like Massachusetts. It's yeah. like Eastern Massachusetts, which it's like, yeah, there's pheasant stocking sites, but if you're not into that, um, you know, the, I tell you the woodcock migration, in Eastern Massachusetts is a blast. Yeah. Uh, it's an absolute fun. New Jersey, another great state for woodcock hunting, mm-hmm. you know, just the kind of this, these things you don't think of. So woodcock are a great bird. I, I will second obviously, that. Um, obviously I have a super corrupt and biased opinion about it. No, but <laughs> you know what, AJ, like I, cause I'm, I'm corrupt and biased about, you know, wild quail down here. Cause I know where they are, you know, and that's kind of a hard thing, but with Woodcock, you know, for the first, the first time we, we came across Woodcock, my dog wouldn't point him. And this last time we were out, the last two that I got, Hell, I thought the dog was pointing a single quail. And next thing you know, he was locked up, prettiest thing in the world, on a woodcock. So they're just very peculiar birds. And and I enjoyed very hunting them. Very well behaved I mean, for bird dogs, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like those grouse. <laughs> grouse don't really give you a lot of opportunity, but a woodcock will remind you of, of why you bought a bird dog. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, I always like that saying about trucker where people say, you know, uh, the second time you hunt truckers, oh, you know, first time you hunt truckers for fun. Second time you do it is for revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I thought about that for a while and it's like, yeah, I guess that's just kind of how I feel about grouse hunting too, though. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like you're a glutton for punishment, you know? And it's like, that's, you know, it's, it's like woodcock are like oasis in middle of deserts right. when grouse hunting. <laughs> oh my God, that man, grouse. I was like, why do people do this? Like, ah, oh, this is well, bad. Well, I mean, you at North Carolina is an extreme case for that. When yeah. you see somebody like Noah Smith piling up, you know, two birds in a day. Yeah. I mean, that kid is putting in, I mean, he just must have to buy a new pair of boots every other week. Oh you know? yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Noah is a, is, a, is a beast on it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, like that's just, there's just a, you know, you gotta be, that's, it's the way it is right around my house. You know, it's like, I could go out, you know, I can definitely hunt grouse within a mile of my house, but I could hunt. I think the most birds I've moved in a day around here was five. Oh, Um, wow. You know, and that's, I mean, we hunted all day, but I can drive three hours from here and we have days that, you know, a normal day you're moving 20 plus birds, you know, and you're not, you're not putting in the hours that we did down here. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same here. I mean, on quail, like, you know, the first, first day of the season, I wasn't shooting for nothing, but I mean, we kept flushing coveys and you know, it, I can go you know, to another part of that same WMA and it's completely dry. I mean, it just depends on where you're at and it it, it depends on how the birds want to act that day. I mean, we've had a successful season. Um, Like I said, it was important to me to only hunt wild birds. Like, I mean, I use pin birds for, you know, yard work, but it's just when you, when you love what it is that you're doing and you like chasing wild birds, whatever it is, you know, you start to set those goals. And, and like you said, it just, the bird dogs make you feel a little bit better about that long walk when it's not productive. <laughs> I, uh, you know, what's funny. I feel like if anybody ever wants a glimpse into what a casual conversation between Darrell and AJ is like on a phone call, <laughs> she listens to like the last 10, 15 minutes of this podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> talking about hunting stories and the theories of why birds behave in certain ways and, right sorry. <laughs> and, and, and and you know just all the the, the nuances of bird dogs so yes this is what it sounds like and then talking about old books and and <laughs> so, well cool. i i have had a pleasure aj um oh hey and, honestly dude I'm, I'm stoked to see this uh you know i'm excited about this change and, and about what we did. And, you know, it's, it's funny is I think the, the way we wrapped up that call the other day is, um, you know, uh, this, you know, this seemed so obvious, Yeah, <laughs> you it know, really like, like we always feel stupid that the epiphany didn't happen sooner, you yeah. know, like, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm really glad to see it go in this direction. I think you're going to bring a lot of value, um, you know, with this kind of opportunity of storytelling and exposing this world. And I hope anybody that's in that community who has a interest in the topic, uh, might have, you know, interest in writing, um, doing all those kind of things, uh, reaches out to project upland, reach out to Darrell, um, you know, cause, um, we really, we're going to go down this rabbit hole. Um, you know, this is, this is that podcast declaring, down the the field trial rabbit hole yeah let's do it um guys seriously let's let's make this a thing um to and i know there are a number of you know social media followers listeners and and so on and so forth that are that are looking for and hungry for it so guys let's 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 as a community you know fill this this new space within project upland so aj you you want to close this out man no i mean just thank you and uh to everybody who continues to listen, to read, to watch, to do all those things. Um, you are the project upland brand. Um, and Darrell, um, thank you for your incredible passion (laughs) that always comes through. I truly appreciate it. And, uh, your ability to be open to doing things and changing and, and the passion to keep pursuing and juggling all the things like new bird dogs, kids, and, 
a job and all those kind of things. So <laughs> everything in the thank world. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, look, I, I I can't thank you as always. I tell you, you always giving me. You give me a call and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Cool? You like it? All right, let's do it. So I'm always on board, man. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you, man. All right, guys. So that's another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. This is the new direction that I've been alluding to. So I just want to end uh, this episode with something that my wife just sent me, matter of fact, from Paul Coileo. Um... It's just a thought of the day. He says, everyone seems to have a clear idea of how other people should lead their lives, but none about his or her own. Maybe that's something to think about in the bird dog world, guys. Like, where are you trying to go with your dog? You know, we we all need to start really thinking about the direction that we're trying to push our dogs and push ourselves. And that's really what it is that I want to do with this podcast. It was time for me to make a change, and I'm glad to have the support of Project Upland and and really be able to own this whole thing like I really want to encourage other folks to do. Um, In that, guys, make sure that if you are interested in mentoring somebody to help them, you know, find the clear idea of, of their dog work and their path, go on my website, thegundognotebook.com, and click on the Mentor tab. You can sign up to be a mentor or you can sign up to find a mentee. I've already uh, posted the first list and I'll go ahead and start posting the second and all of that as, as it gets more updated. Thanks again, guys, for listening to another episode and another week of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast.